kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? gentlemen and welcome to Auntie Nanny. As usual, we begin tonight's show with the CASA update portion of the podcast. Um, good evening, Alex. Are you here? Hey, I'm here. How are you doing? <laughs> All right. I'm good. How are you? All right. I'm home. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been busy. Um, good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 210, 2017. What is new and exciting this week, Alex? Um, well, uh, I just got back from Oregon. I went out to um, what was formerly known as the Northwest Vapor Association's um, Vape Day at the Capitol. Um, the uh, organization has since disbanded. Oh, wow. um, and our, um, yeah, I'm not exactly clear on the details, so I won't go into it, but uh, the folks that were part of that are still active. Um, it just okay. seemed to be taking a, a bit of a different tack. Okay. Um, but it was a good uh, event. Um, got to, you know, hang out with the people in Oregon and mm-hmm. um, go to a couple of uh, meetings with, with lawmakers. Um and uh you know it's a good group of people and it sounds like several people got to meet with lawmakers there's um several bills in oregon okay. yeah. um, <laughs> i mean last last session um they passed the um indoor vaping ban um but you know they successfully defeated a, a tax um which those tax that taxes back um there's a couple of different versions of of tax bills on vapor um one i believe is a 90 90 or 95 percent wholesale tax the other is like it works out to for i I did some math uh it's like for an 18 milligram bottle it's uh um like 90 cents per milliliter oh my god uh, it, it's based on the nicotine content and, okay. uh, yeah, so it's like half a cent. Um, is it even half a cent? Oh, it's like five tenths of a cent. Okay. I'm really bad at decimals. It's <laughs> 0.05 cents 
okay. per milligram of nicotine. Okay. Per milliliter. Oh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, unfortunate. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty bad, but uh, it's it's just a complicated way of saying this is a really big tax, like what we've seen in other places. So, yeah. um, you know, for example, uh, Chicago ultimately has like a seventy-five cent per milliliter tax Crazy. on liquid containing nicotine, um, and uh, so yeah, th that's there. There's also um, some licensing stuff. Uh, one of the one of the points that was brought up was that, um, you know, in in the licensing portion of, of one of the bills, um, the penalties are excessive. Um, if if a, an employee uh, messes up and uh, sells products to someone under the age of eighteen, mm -hmm. um, or twenty one actually, in in one bill's case. Uh, your uh, license to sell can be revoked wow. for a full year and uh, and you're fined. Um, you know, the person getting fined is a fine for that person. There's a fine for the manager. There's a fine for the owner. Uh, <laughs> it can range in thousands of dollars. So um, it's, it's more, it's absolutely more harsh than what is applied to cigarette and, 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 um, and cannabis shop. That's, um, yeah, that's that's pretty outrageous. That's that's really strange, though, that Oregon is so, I don't know, they're so pro-cannabis and so against nicotine vaporization. That's just bizarre to me. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where. I mean, it, it kind of feels like that's maybe boilerplate from somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe they just grabbed it from a weird thing and to yeah. just throw it in there. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um <clears throat> And, and then, of course, they have Tobacco 21, which was um, actually really interesting kind of as a result of, of talking to folks about it. Um, mm -hmm. there, were, there were some, some folks that took it back to Washington. Um, there was a, a couple of people, the, uh, Stephen Barry uh, and some other folks from Vancouver. Um, they're the ones that put on the Northwest Vapor Expo. Right. And um, they sort of took that message back to Washington state. And, uh, from what I understood held sort of a, uh, impromptu kind of town hall style meeting in a vapor shop up there and got people riled up about it. So, um, and you know, Washington state is facing a couple of tobacco 21 bills that are moving. Um, I mean, if there was anywhere in the country where tobacco 21 was likely to pass this year, it's going to be Oregon and Washington because, yeah. because of California, um, yeah. because it's the West coast and because they are, um, you know, state houses controlled by, um, people who, who think that that is a good policy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good event. It was, it rained the entire time, but that's, <laughs> that's Oregon. Um, right. the sun, the sun didn't come out until I was ready to leave yesterday. <laughs> Um, which is great. And I left, I kind of, from the frying pan into the fire, I left Oregon. It rained for several days and came back to New Jersey where we got a bunch of snow yesterday. Yeah. Um, but I did make it home. I got home around one o'clock in the morning. So that well, was, 
at least you're at least successful. You're home. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a good thing. Yep. Um, oh, what else is going on? I have been, we've been following some things. So I, going off of the, the, the sheet that you put together for us to talk about here, um, the Arkansas bill, um, that was a really weird one. Arkansas has a short legislative session. Right. And so things pop up and move along and do things quickly. Um, and so this this happened, I mean, really fast. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it seemed like it got added to a committee uh, schedule with very little warning. Um, but apparently that's how it happens. Uh, nothing too weird, according to people in, in Arkansas. Right. Um, but uh, it got uh, the, the bill actually, you know, hearing the bill in the committee got postponed. Um, so that is sort of good news. Um, and I, I believe, um, that's sort of a good sign. It doesn't mean it's dead. Right. Um, but, uh, actually I just need to check my notes here. Um, I I feel like maybe it was this or something else got tabled. Um, so, uh, I know we were looking for confirmation on that and, um okay yeah so uh from what i understand the bill's sponsor didn't even show up so they didn't run the bill that's what happened yeah (laughs) so um so yeah the thing people are still working that on the ground um and making sure um you know they've got eyes on it and people are talking with with relevant lawmakers so um yeah it's still a thing if you're in arkansas by all means send send emails and make phone calls and Mm -hmm. express your opposition to the bill but uh, that's that um moving right along um the arizona tax that we put out a call to action for sb 1517 almost immediately after putting that out um we got some feedback from from people in Arizona and, um, and others, there was some, some lawmakers that responded to people's messages and they said, uh, you know, there's no way this will ever pass. This is ridiculous. So that's always good to hear. Um, and it actually kind of elicited a pretty passionate response about a tobacco 21 bill. (laughs) Um, I can't remember if we talked about this last week. I feel like I might've put this out. It doesn't matter. It's it's. It good doesn't. To hear it doesn't it. matter. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, the the short and narrow narrow of it is that uh, with this, there was a handful of bills in Arizona, and um, Will Cohen and the Arizona Safada people and their lobbyists are on top of it, from what I understand. Cool. Um, so, uh, not a whole lot of uh, concern that these bills are going to advance, but. Uh, like, a, like Arkansas, people are keeping an eye on this. So that's, um, that's that. Um, the Kansas bill, SB 54, there's a couple of things going on here. So um, SB, without getting into too much detail, and I don't want to give away strategy or anything like that, um, SB 54 changes how the tax is applied to e-liquid by specifying that it is on 
uh, liquid containing nicotine. Um, And um, there is an effort, I think, to change that rate to something lower. Um, So uh, there's that. And um, that is scheduled for a hearing, I believe, on the 14th on Tuesday. Valentine's Day. (laughs) Yeah, of all what a romantic what a romantic way to spend your day huh yeah you know don't don't say the state never gave you anything um <laughs> a romantic trip to the to the committee room um <laughs> and uh there's another bill i believe it's sb 130 um i really should have researched this before i came on the show but okay. um it, it's it's sort of a competing bill, and it and it again it offers some clarification into how the Department of Revenue is to apply the tax and collect the tax. Okay. Um, but this but that that bill is not something that is is it's not something that we should support uh, that anybody should support. Uh, it doesn't okay. effectively change the rate. It doesn't make anything more workable. It just kind of clarifies things, from what I right. understand. So. Um, anyway, hopefully we'll have some more and better news, um, next week about how things went in Kansas. Um, but for now, um, you know, we have an active engagement and people should take advantage of it and call their lawmakers. Um, SB 119, I believe we did talk about this last week. Uh, this was, uh, this ultimately for, you know, for our purposes, for what we were paying attention to the, the, there's a provision in this bill that would essentially ban online sales right. um, in Maryland. Um, and uh, from what I understand, the sponsor wasn't even all that thrilled with this bill. So, um, but there are companions to this. There is a companion bill in the house. Um, and also in Maryland, there's an indoor vaping ban and a tobacco 21 bill, but uh, oh. not a whole lot <laughs> Not a whole lot of support for either one of those. So, um, uh, like the other states, people are are keeping eyes on this stuff and uh, uh, providing information to lawmakers so that they can make an informed decision should this come to a vote. Um, HB 242 in New Hampshire, I need to update. Um, There was some language that was put into this um, that separately defined vapor products um, I don't know much about the progress of this because I came to this show unprepared. Um, <laughs> but I do remember looking at this and saying, hey, that's a good twist of events there. Uh, there's some decent language in there and I should update things. Um, okay. Of course, running off and doing something else. Um, <laughs> I don't have an update for Forsyth County, Georgia. Uh, I probably should. This is this is an old one. We put this out before. Yeah, the but end that just year. Yeah, but this just came out in the news yesterday or the day before. Okay, that's why I put that in there. So, I was so, I was surprised to see that. It changes outline, new regulations for alternative tobacco product or vape dealers, including a fifty dollar annual permit, and that's not bad. Uh, a ban on mixing vape juice on store premises why anybody insists on calling it vape juice, I don't know. (laughs) And a provision saying that businesses selling vaping devices can't allow their on-premises, their use on-premises unless the stores are equipped with a dehumidifier. That's hilarious. To dispel (laughs) the mist. Holy cow. 
You've never seen that? I've never seen that before. I've I was surprised. I've never seen anybody <laughs> say, well, it's vapor, so we should probably put a dehumidifier in there. That's that's kind of a new level of ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll follow that link and uh, and dig into that a bit. That's kind of interesting. It's different. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I think they're thinking vapor like water vapor in this kind of is but it's it's also other things so i don't know what a dehumidifier will do but i don't know <laughs> it'll keep things nice and dry I, which is i mean not really a problem i've had being around a horde <laughs> of vapors yeah um no me either no there's really no cause for concern of like mold or any <laughs> fungus growing it's just <laughs> dehumidifier it's kinda, that's it's yeah, I thought that was funny. It's that funny, is funny, right? <laughs> it's shocking. I mean, it's the it's, it, it, I get it's the kind of anti-science I would expect from more <laughs> lawmaking bodies. Honestly, yeah. yeah, I get it. Believe me, I kind of expect something like that too. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> um. So then you've got some kind of sad news in here. Um. Yeah. With the Vermont vapor. Yeah. Um, we don't typically talk about individual companies, but this is a pretty important story. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't claim to know the nitty gritty details of this, but other than you know what the headline is here is that that Vermont Vapor is facing, um, I guess, at least fifty thousand dollars in fines yeah. um, because of uh, some of their because marketing. Well, you, we say that, but he claims it's customer testimonials on their Facebook page and stuff. Yeah, um, I'm sure that's part of it. But yeah. I, I mean, I know that's part of it. I think that was actually listed in the complaint or, or whatever mm -hmm. um, thing that we had seen. But, um, you know, they also... Eh, their their Facebook page was actually listed as a, a, a healthcare provider or as a um, it, it it was listed as a, like a smoking cessation service. Wow, that's um, stupid. I, I guess you can you can make. I, I've never created a Facebook page for business, so right. I'm assuming that you can put that category under you know Anything. technology service or you know I make photograph whatever. Yeah, it's a right. business or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, but it was oddly specific and, and actually on their Facebook page had uh, references to you can come in here and quit smoking, um, wow. which, you know, I, you know, as far as we're concerned, that's truthful. Yeah. And, you know, we we believe that vape shops should have the right to uh, truthfully talk about these products and say that. Um, why yes, uh, you know, you can use this product in a way that will, will help you, uh, quit smoking. Right. Um, I, 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 I fully support that right. at some point down the line. Um, and I, I think that, you know, but right now the law prohibits that and, yes, um, and, and Vermont vapor, I, I, you know, has sort of. <clears throat> they're they're the first company in the country to get uh, this kind of lawsuit, yeah. and unfortunately, 
um, it is it is putting them out of business, and that's and that's sad. That is um, sad. You know, there's a bit of truth that dies with with something like this, yeah. and um, I, I don't know I don't know the people at Vermont Vapor personally, but um, you know, on one hand, I I feel like saying I'm sorry that this is happening. Right. Um, on the other hand, this has been this has been public knowledge for many years that you well, can't I mean, do that. Right. I mean, I would, I was going to say is how many years have we been telling people be careful about their marketing? Now, I mean, almost immediately from the beginning, telling people, you know, you cannot market this as a, a cessation product because then it becomes a drug, a drug delivery system, according to yeah. the FDA. Yeah. I mean, Kassau's very existence comes from the fact that, that, e-cigarette companies were making smoking cessation claims about their products mm -hmm. and that's why the fda directed customs to seize their yeah. their mm -hmm. goods because that makes them a medical device so yep. um so yeah this has been public knowledge for since 2009 yep. um and I, I and i do you know i do think it's it's unfortunate that that a, a business cannot um, host testimonials from yeah. customers uh, where the customers are stating true facts mm -hmm. about, you know, this product helped me stop smoking. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I wish there was some way to argue that, but I, I don't actually think that there is. It's very clearly stated. Yeah. Law. So, um, but yeah, and I know, I, I, I think that I, you know, Vermont Vapor is likely not the only company out there that has done this or is doing this. I don't know, um, you know, what the attitudes of, of AGs around the country are. Um, and by the way, in case anybody was interested, this is coming from the Vermont Attorney General. This is an FDA enforcement. This is right. the Attorney General basically taking them to, uh, to task for what they're claiming would be deceptive marketing practices. Um, and so... Uh, you know, if, if, if you're doing business in a state with a particularly vengeful AG, uh, <laughs> you may want to make sure that you are compliant with the law because, um, if they're bored one day, um, you know, <laughs> they, they may come after you if, yep. if, if Donald Trump isn't giving them enough busy work at the moment. Um, so yeah, um, on a happier note, Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you want to say that's happier? <laughs> no, I don't because again, you know, like in the years past, Hawaii is, is always a bit of a cluster. Um, yeah. It's there, there's so many bills that get introduced and so many committees to hear these things. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a dizzying process. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it looks like Hawaii is looking at taxes again. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I know that Hawaii has an online sales ban uh, in one of the bills. Uh, and there's just a bunch of them. And, and I haven't, I just have not sat down and, and lined all of these up. But um, I do know that there are, and, and, you know, we had actually talked about this in, in another group. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Hawaii is one of those places where they don't, they don't really like outside involvement. So for, you know, people from the mainland, white people from the mainland getting involved in their, in their politics is, is really, really not 
appreciated. Right. Um, and so it is a good thing that there is a, a, a state association there. I believe there's a Hawaii status, a Safada chapter yeah. um, that's been uh, sort of evolving over the past few years and, and has mm-hmm. some some pretty dialed in people um, who actually show up to hearings and 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 take action on things. So yeah. um, that that's that's good. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of details because it just it just makes my brain hurt. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's one of those things I, I aspire to have some more information about Hawaii. And it's just a matter of finding the time to sit down with it in between all the other stuff that's going on. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. That, that should be easy. You should be able to read up on that in 30 seconds. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's, it's I mean, very- I... I don't, I, I don't want to reinvent the, I mean, I can look at the bills that we have in our watch list. That, that's mm-hmm. not a problem, but I don't want to reinvent the wheel here and just present a list. The oh, folks yeah. on the ground in Hawaii have already done that. He's, oh, they've yeah. got a, they've got a spreadsheet of the bills that they're tracking and it explains what's going on. There are links and other things going. So they've, they've already done that. There's really not much need to duplicate the efforts there. Yeah. Um, and I usually end up sort of just deferring to them um, sure. and, and saying, you know, here, visit them because they've got the information. This is the yeah. state group and, yep. and support should really be going there. So sure. um, that's that. Um, so I didn't really look too much. At, I assume this is just sort of um, the, the next thing is, yeah. yeah, the battery safety concerns, electronic nicotine delivery systems, mm-hmm. barf, um, public <laughs> workshop, establishment of public docket request for comments. Um, so this is the FDA's workshop on battery safety, battery manufacturing yep. standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is April 19th and 20th mm-hmm. um, from normal business hours, 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. It's a riveting work day for anybody that's interested. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to send anybody. Um, certainly have are talking about it and and certainly talking about providing our own comment and actually it's it's interesting you put this on there because i got my casa battery case in the mail today oh cool i I went online and i bought my own case i wanted to go through the shipping experience right Um, and uh it's a nice little two battery case it looks pretty looks looks stout enough that it's not gonna break easily Mm-hmm. Um, and it says practice safe vaping on the front of it. Right. Um, and I think it's like $2, $2.50 on our website. That's not bad. Um, and this is, this is part of, you know, we're just sort of getting started with this. Like, like a lot of things that we do, we, we take baby steps and, and get things refined. But, um, you know, part of our goal this year is to, to get a battery safety campaign out there. And, sure. um, you know, Bruce and I worked on a really good post for people who haven't read it yet. Um, and it's really good. I know that we we talked about this, but uh, Mooch, the battery expert in the community, also I think helped out a bit. His name's not on it, but um, I, I know that that he, I don't, I don't think he can help but contribute in some way to this discussion. <laughs> um, so uh, so that's a good resource, and uh, you know, going forward, you know, we're looking at ways to you know put a campaign out there, really. Right. Um, and and part of our argument, I think, uh, part of some other people's arguments is going to be that, you know, in in instead of FDA coming out and and making some sort of very overly specific recommendation or or strict guideline 
as to what battery can be used in a device, um, which, by the way, as the law stands, would destroy the industry in a completely different way. Um, you know, what's really important here is educating the public. And, sure. um, you know, these are these are new devices and people have a different relationship with them. You know, consumer electronics typically have these battery packs and, you know, you know, you can use your, your iPad or your phone, or, mm -hmm. you know, even a laptop, you, sure. you can, you can go through the entire life of the device and never actually interact with the raw batteries inside. Mm -hmm. Um, vapor products, the advanced devices, we handle battery oh, yeah. cells daily. Um, and so people really need to understand just what an unprotected cell oh, can yeah. do. One of my first mods, I had a battery vent in my mouth. Oh, fun. When I was using it, yeah. So I am very um, respectful yeah. of batteries and their power. I had, I had a remote control car when I was a kid. Right. And uh, it was one of the ones where, you know, it's the, you can actually race these things. And mm -hmm. uh, so it was a very, you know, powerful thing. And it had a battery pack. And uh, I remember one day uh, I was charging the battery. And I didn't know things about over-discharging or overcharging. And sure. um, I was a kid. So, of course, I ran, I ran the battery until it just wouldn't go anymore mm -hmm. and uh, would leave it on the charger. And, um, you know, the, the technology wasn't it wasn't what it is today. There's no mm -hmm. digital cutoff. Um, and yeah, it, uh, it vented in my bedroom and, uh, and that was awesome. It didn't <laughs> explode. It just, it vented, it spewed gas and smoke everywhere. And, yep. <clears throat> you know, I was, I was sitting around watching TV and all of a sudden I heard this and I was, Oh my God, what's going on? And I looked <laughs> over and the battery is venting. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, it happens. It does. But, you know, it consistent with the, what the U S um, fire marshal, uh, what was the, what was the agency that did that study? Cons consistent with the, the study that has, the study that has been released on battery failures is, um, you know, it was 80% of battery failures happen while charging. Yeah. That's, That's uh, why that's why they tell you when you, when you, you know, just when you charge rechargeable lithium ion, you're supposed to have like a, a, a bucket of sand. You're mm. supposed to charge it in the bucket of sand in case there is a fire and you're supposed to watch it. You're not supposed to put stuff on the charger when you go to sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just little things. Yeah. Really. So. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, that's a pretty big part of, of any, any, I think presentation that we would have, and, and I suspect a lot of other people will have, I'm mm -hmm. sure that there can be people that will get there and, and, um, throw down some, some just mind blowing technical details about batteries and devices and so on. But, uh, right. I think at the end of the day, you know, probably the most cost effective and, um, beneficial, uh, thing that, that might come out of this workshop is, um, you know, somebody developing a, a campaign. Yeah. You know, FDA is, a I, I shouldn't say this because their their uh, ad campaigns are really not as as great as they say they are. But FDA is fond of taking millions of dollars to produce <laughs> ad campaigns to convince people that, to behave a certain way. So, um, 
I don't see why that money can't be spent on actual useful things like informing people that they shouldn't carry um, 18650s loose in their purse. Um, or in their pockets with their change. I mean, that would make keys. that would make for some pretty amazing, you know, of all the footage that's out there, yeah. you could really make a pretty impactful um, you could. 30-second spot and, and just... You know. I mean, even, even if they don't, I'm kind of surprised that the Consumer Product Safety Commission you know, isn't doing that sort of thing. Although I, I guess maybe we're the only ones that carry just cells around like that. Flashlight enthusiasts. Well, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, that's interesting. I'm sure we'll have more updates as we get closer to April. Um, and, uh, and that'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the last thing that I, I put on the list here at the last minute was, uh, something that, uh, uh, Jennifer Berger Coleman shared with us. Um, yeah. and, uh, it, it came with a, with a hearty lull, um, <laughs> the, uh, American lung association as part of their national tobacco report, um, gave, uh, New York state a failing grade in efforts to reduce tobacco use Really, um, for those who are not. Um, it looks like this mostly comes from uh, funding programs, funding prevention programs. Okay. Um, but for everything else, they got, you know, passing grades. So they got, you know, strength of the smoke-free workplace laws, grade A, um, level of state tobacco taxes. This is the one that, that elicited the lull. <laughs> um, New York state has like one, one of the highest, if not the highest tobacco taxes in the country. I know that New York city definitely does. Right. Um, it runs you anywhere from 12 to $14 to buy a pack of cigarettes. Um, the American lung association has decided that that warrants a, 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 a B grade. <laughs> now, for anybody who's been following this at all knows that the taxes in this, this, this falls under the, the law of diminishing returns. Oh yes. The, the tobacco taxes in New York state are so high mm -hmm. that New York state also has one of the largest black markets for cigarette sales. Yep. Over half of the cigarettes sold in the state. I used to think it was just New York city over half the cigarettes sold in the state of New York are sold in the black and gray market. Um, and for those who are unfamiliar with black markets, there's nobody at the door checking IDs. Yep. So <laughs> there are young people continuing to purchase cigarettes on the black market. Um, and, and they get them for cheap. Um, you know, despite the fact that New York city and several counties have enacted tobacco 21 policies, Mm -hmm. um, and smoking rates apparently are not really changing that much in New York. Um, there was a bit, Shocking. I think in, it, it's not very scientific, but after New York in, implemented the, uh, the, the indoor clean air law in New York, New York city, um, mm -hmm. there was, a uh, some, uh, some sort of research that showed that the smoking rate actually went up, um, <laughs> So, and, and you can vape in vape shops in New York city. Nice. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, it just again, the, you know, all of this stuff, it, it, there's just a point where it becomes too strict. And of course, when you wrap up e-cigarettes into this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, people don't see it as a viable alternative to smoking. And, and it just, it, it ultimately doesn't, doesn't do anything. I, I'm looking at, sorry about the noise, if you can hear no that. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm looking at all of this stuff and, and I'm sure I'm not the only one to have this bit of a revelation, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like, you know, tobacco 21 in particular, um, you know, these making taxes higher, making place bans stricter and raising the age to purchase mm-hmm. all tobacco products. It's kind of, they're kind of half ass in it. I mean, well, it looks strict. It does real harm, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like, it's just, t- to me, it, 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 it just feels like they're phoning it in. Like, yeah. you know, if you really wanted to combat this issue, it's, it's all about education. It's all about harm reduction uh-huh. and, and, and giving people options and access to safer alternatives. And that to me, it seems like that's the harder thing to do. That's the more yeah. difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it goes against the grain a bit in a, a lot. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I think it, it, actually kind of goes back to uh, we've talked about this before the drug war Mm -hmm. um these people are like they seem like they're fans of ainslinger (laughs) you know what i mean who really started the drug war in this country and then kind of shipped it abroad um they go for policies that punish instead Mm -hmm. of of policies that recognize the whole person yeah you know, and that that's certainly not going to make people respect the law. Uh, obviously, if you've got smoking rates going up, <laughs> it's it's almost like there's a laugher curve, not just in how we enact taxation, but in the strictness of the laws. When they get too strict, people just sort of disregard them. Yeah, if that if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, that makes uh, that makes perfect sense, and. Um... Yeah, I should reiterate that I don't have we don't have any clear data as to uh, smoking rates going up in New York as a result of all of this stuff. But um, certainly, I think it's reasonable to state that um, all of these policies and making them stricter are not really uh, hastening any declines in smoking rates. Um, They're so, not helping. They kind yeah. of it's almost. Um, like the drug policy alliance says when you make things legal you tend to glamorize them yeah and people think oh that's cool instead of you know oh that's a bad idea or oh that's boring (laughs) yeah exactly it's so boring it's something only only old people do yeah exactly so eh, tobacco control has reached the point of diminishing returns and now they're chasing their tails it seems like has tobacco control reached peak tobacco control? I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Certainly not a whole lot of new ideas coming out of them. So No, not really. But uh, the, the enlightened people seem to support harm reduction, and we're happy to have them aboard. <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> so to end things on a bit more cheerful note, which is sure. sort of cheerful, only... It's only not cheerful because I haven't done what I need to do yet. Okay. Um, but uh, I keep getting 
pulled away and, and sidetracked on other stuff. Um, and I really just need to make it a priority, which is difficult because I still have a bunch of stuff to do tonight. Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, Pennsylvania has, uh-huh. you know, both Senator Bartolotta and Representative Wheeland have introduced co-sponsor support memos okay. for bills that will reduce the vapor tax in sure. Pennsylvania to five cents per milliliter of consumable mm-hmm. e-liquid. I think right. it, it's just all e-liquid. That's right. that's. I think kind of the compromise there is it's all e-liquid nicotine or not. Um, and, uh, yeah, so those, those co-sponsor support members are, are, uh, memos are, are out, they're circulating. And, uh, I'm I'm trying to put the finishing touches on our engagement. What we have up now for Pennsylvania is actually just directed at, uh, representative Whelan's bill, but I'm trying to add in, uh, Bartolotta's and uh, provide an update there. But uh, if you're in Pennsylvania, absolutely take a moment to urge your um, state lawmakers, your congressperson, your representative, and your senator to uh, sign on in support of uh, these uh, co-sponsored support memos. And then at some point in the next few weeks, I assume, uh, we will see an actual bill with a real-life number and um, start getting it through the process. Awesome. It's great news. Yeah. Is, is that it for tonight, you think, Alex? I think that's it. Um, okay. And uh, at some point, there's there's going to be a, a list of all the stuff that we're kind of tracking. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So I will let you get back to whatever I pulled you away from to do this. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you for everything you do for us. And we will see you next Monday. All right. Next uh, Friday. Oh, Friday. Yeah, Friday, Monday. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We will see you next Friday. And thank you, Alex. Have a great night. Thanks. Have a good weekend. You too. Don't don't stop recording it, Barry. Um, You can get updates and subscribe to the CASA podcast at CASA.org at soundcloud.com or on iTunes. Okay, now you can stop recording. Okay. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Auntie Nanny portion of the show. With me this evening is the very best producer money can't buy. Very, how are you this evening? I'm good. You're good. <laughs> and my buddy Jeremy, are you here? Okay. All right. Cool. So, what has been going on with you this week, Barry? Eh, not much. Not uh, much. Got a new up, mouse. Signed. Got a new mouse from a computer. Changed oh, nice. mobile phone company. Yeah. Uh, signed up to go to a talk in Glasgow next month. Nice. Spon- uh, sponsored by. The New Nicotine Alliance and the Global Forum for Nicotine um, through in Glasgow. And apparently one of the speakers is due to be Dr. Farsalinos. So that should be interesting. An interesting afternoon. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, So that'll be be awesome. Hopefully there'll be video of that because that'll Uh, be worth watching. GFN do tend to film everything. If not, yes, 
all be there with a, my, my my phone, which can do HD video. So yeah. awesome! <laughs> uh, that is awesome. That'll be great. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Jeremy, you here? Yes, ma'am. I fixed it. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to be sure you were here. Okay. Uh, Discord had something stupid going on where it wasn't registering my push to talk key, so I had to reassign it. Oh, okay. So Discord was having a, a, a moment. But didn't like his button. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I pushed it too many times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what have you been doing this week? Um, I am out at a Phillips 66 site, um, 40 hour week. Eight hours a day. It's eight and skate. It's gravy. Oh my god! It's so easy. <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish every job were just eight and get the hell out. That would be perfect. Oh, this is so easy. It's the very first hour. I like. I get there at like six ten. We okay. clock in at seven o'clock. It takes an hour to an hour and a half to get permitted to even walk out into the field to be able to go take our ultrasonic thickness tests. So, yeah, it's most of the time that I'm there, I'm getting paid $28 an hour to sit on my behind. Oh, damn. So, you know what I wanted to ask you about? What's that? What do you think about the selling off of the strategic oil reserves that we're doing a year in advance of when we're supposed to do it? Sell them. It, so it's not just me, it, and it's because they're the sour crude that's actually eating through the structures. Yes. Yeah, I mean, because that, yes. that's... Sell it and get rid of it. Because sour crude is not... Light sweet is what you want to be dealing with when you're dealing with long-term storage, am I correct? Just because it won't Absolutely. cause the wear and tear on the, the metal parts. Absolutely. Light sweet crude, it has less caustic agents in it, and mm -hmm. it's more refinable... Yeah. Yeah, we had to spend we had to hell we had to hellishly upgrade the refineries we do have working to to refine the light sour crude, is my understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, light sour crude tends to run more in um, stainless uh, piped units. Um, it just it corrodes the insides of the pipes. It causes premature wall loss. Um, it's more expensive in the long run than it's really worth. Yeah. Well, I mean, and a lot of that comes from Venezuela, oddly enough. Yeah. You know? They're, they've got, they got crap oil. I mean, they've got a lot of it, but it, it's hard to refine and hard to work with. Yeah. They have a, they have the issue there with, um, the earth around there. It's really good because it's alkaline. It's really nice for coffee beans and, you know, certain agricultural aspects. But when it comes to those alkalines, you know, draining down into the ground, of course, it ends up in their oil reserves, you know, in, right. uh, in the fields underneath mm -hmm. the ground. So, sure. you know, it's just it's not good stuff for us. Well, well I was also going to say they, they also have a really oppressive regime there. So <laughs> also not good for Venezuela. But um, yeah. Too true. What I what I was going to say is that's what most of our strategic oil reserve comes from, actually, is Venezuelan oil, which I think most people don't know. So, yay! And Canadian tar sand oil um, as well. In, <laughs> in, in another 20, 30 years, there'll probably be a lot more call for Venezuelan oil. 
um, <laughs> as <laughs> other other oil starts running out. But as far back as the seventies, I think they got Pilkington to do tests um, for yeah. glass lining, basically the metal pipes. You know, making glass liners. Right, um, like, like but it's just so expensive that it's not worth doing yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think I mentioned this before. My grandparents actually worked at um, at Owens Corning. Um, they worked at the first plant where they did all the experimental stuff, and one of the things they worked on was like like trying to line the pipes with fiberglass, and they had a really yeah. hard time with that. But they also invented Corningware, so. I, there you go. Because <laughs> yeah, a lot of the a lot of the fancier chemical plants, yeah, loads of the pipes are glass lined. Because right. otherwise, the chemicals just eat them. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as I say, one of the one of the ones in the UK, ICI, I think it's um, f outside Falkirk. They used mm -hmm. to deal with phosphoric acid, making it, Ooh. and that stuff. When they make it, it's yeah. hot, and when it's hot. It'll even corrode glass, so Good yeah, God. all the all the pipes have to be replaced you know, regularly. Because even yeah. the glass-lined pipes only last a certain amount of time. Um, there's a yeah. guy, I think I mentioned it before, the most horrific job. He's got to wear two chemical suits, walk a quarter of a mile, take right. a sample from a tap, walk a quarter of a mile back. And he's got to do it within, uh, I think it's 20 minutes in these wow. big bulky suits. Because yeah. after 20 minutes, the acid will have eaten through the first suit Good on the outside. Because, <laughs> yeah, he's going out to take samples of the acid that's being made. <laughs> he's got 20 minutes to get back and go through the chemical shower, get the outside See, suit off. <laughs> you know, and, and people thought I was crazy when I was a kid. I wanted to go into the army and, and I wanted to work with viruses. <laughs> oh, viruses but, are easy. Yeah. yeah, no, but I wanted to work with the ones that, you know, killed people. Not yeah. not just your normal, you know, rabies. No, it's run of the mill. No, I wanted to work with, you know, Pontivirus. You, you, like you, like you wanted to go somewhere like You wanted to go somewhere like Porton Down. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, um, although I, I bet I would have been horrified. Oh, 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 I saw something today, and I should have put it in the show notes. Um, what country was it? One of the countries put out an educational... Uh, Jeremy, you can probably look for this if you're bored. Put out sure. uh, an educational book um, for students. And one of the experiments was to take two kittens, put one in a box with holes in it, and put another one in a box with no holes in it, in a wooden box, and nail it shut, and see which <laughs> one was alive and which one was dead. I'm not kidding. There's actual... An actual Schrodinger's cat experiment? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not even a Schrodinger's cat experiment. That's just cruelty. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and that's. there's no vial of acid. There's no radioactive sores. No. Yeah, one cat's definitely going to be dead. Uh. Yeah, yeah, but they were saying they were they were saying they were explaining life sciences to second graders, so that was one of the experiments written in the book. And I'm going, you gotta be kidding me! Lesson one per the SPCA: what not to do to your pet cat. Yeah, exactly. It was it was pretty, pretty freaking outrageous stuff. And and and, and the next book, tasering <laughs> Timmy, the disruptive no. student in class. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, okay. So my stories are not this entertaining. <laughs> I can tell you how that's going to go, though. When it comes to that, it's the teacher's going to say, look, Timmy, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> hold my beer. Oh, yeah. Hold my beer. Could this day get any worse? Hold my beer. <laughs> That's true. Uh, does anybody want to pick one or you want to, you guys want to let me go? Pick one first. And I, please understand, I can't pronounce this word. <laughs> okay. I am not the right shade, um, and I don't have the proper pronunciation for this word. Woman prosecuted for service sales on Facebook settles with DA. I feel like I won. There was no misdemeanor. I didn't plead to nothing. Days before she was set to go to trial over $12 worth of service sold on Facebook, Marisa Ruales stuck a deal with the San Joaquin County District Ceviche. Ceviche. Okay. On Friday, prosecutors in the Central California County agreed to drop various misdemeanor criminal charges, including operating a food facility without a permit if Ruales did 80 hours of community service within the year. She also agreed not to sell or trade food online unless she has the proper permits. When Ars Technica asked her how she felt on Friday afternoon, Maria Ruelas said by phone, relieved, you know, I feel just like, oh, it's finally over. I feel like I won. There's no misdemeanor. I didn't plead in nothing, she added. District Attorney Kelly McDaniel did not respond to Ars' request for comment. For her, as well as for me, the big difference is that she doesn't have to get up there and say, I'm guilty of this. We're keeping her innocent, Ruelas public defender Benjamin Hall told Ars. It's a good resolution. Personally, I think even in the misdemeanor world, there are so many more serious misdemeanors. For something like this to be taken to the extent it was, if they had given her this at the beginning, it would have been resolved in no time. The amount of time and resources that was put into this is kind of surprising at the end of the day. According to the FBI, Stockton, a city of about 300,000 people, approximately 80 miles east of San Francisco, has one of the highest rates of violent crime in California. Many local cities felt it was a waste of the county's resources to take such a low-level criminal defendant to trial. Rella's trial had been initially scheduled for December 2nd, 2016, but was postponed several times until its latest slotted date, January 31st, 2017. For their part, local authorities insisted it was their duty to stave off the potential health risks. It would be negligent for our office to ignore it, Supervising District Attorney Robert Himbalu said during a November 9th, 2016 press conference in Stockton. We did not send anybody out there to go hunting people down. We're not trying to prevent people from cooking or sharing potlucks or anything like that. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, okay, part-time cook, part-time Uber driver. As ours reported last year, the case began in early 2015 when the San Joaquin County Environmental Health Department received complaints about unlicensed food being sold on a Facebook group called 209 Food Spot. One person even said they got sick as a result. So the EHD, as a responsible county agency, decided to investigate it. Unlike an unlicensed taco stand or other unlicensed food business that operates on the street and can easily be shut down, getting a hold of 209 Food Spot was trickier. Nearly everyone was cooking and selling from their own homes. The EHD contacted multiple sellers directly, warning them that they did not have adequate permits. But these warnings had little, if any, effect on the Facebook group. The EHD stepped up its game by sending letters to some of the sellers. Those warnings were ignored, too. By December 2015, Gabe Herrera, a, star, a retired Stockton police officer working as an EHD investigator, decided to go after six different women chosen at random from 209 Food Spot. 
One of those was Maria Morales, a 37-year-old single mother of six children. Posing as Robert Payne, Herrera went to Rolla's house, handed over $12, and walked away with 32 ounces of ceviche. He has not responded to Aro's request for comment. Six months later, in June 2016, Roales and five other women received a court summons for their arraignment to face state-level misdemeanor charge, criminal charges for operating a food facility without a permit and engaging in business without a permit to sell. None of them were amongst those who received prior warnings from the EHD. The other five women were offered a plea deal, a year of probation, 40 hours of community service, and $250 in fines. They immediately accepted Rollins, by contrast, was initially offered three years probation and 80 hours of community service. She was the only one who requested a lawyer and was provided a public defender. Eventually, McDaniel offered Ruelas a plea in absence. A similar arrangement would require she pled guilty and do the 80 hours. However, her record would be wiped clean after a year. Ruelas refused the deal, staunchly arguing that she had not broken the law. In recent weeks, Ruelas has become a part-time Uber and Lyft driver to support her six children. Soon, she will also be hosting a birthday party for herself where she plans on serving ceviche. In the meantime, the single mother also said she will continue to advocate for the relevant food laws to be revised to accommodate small-scale home food production. The more people we get supporting the law change, I'm sure we can make things happen, she said. We shouldn't have to worry about people going to court or going to jail if we can just make a change. California, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's BS. Because here in Houston, you can find ceviche in trucks all over Houston. And the way that it's prepared, <clears throat> it's usually shrimp, tilapia, um, some sea bass maybe, um, uh, uh, scallops. And they chop them up real small. And mm-hmm. then they squeeze lime juice over the top of it. And the citric acid in the lime juice actually cooks it with no heat. So mm-hmm. it, all of the flavor is there. It's a, it's a delicacy. Mm-hmm. Very good stuff. Well, you know, never heard of it here, but, you know, I live in Redneck Valley. <laughs> I don't really, that's not what I call this place, but it kind of is. So, you know, we don't, we don't have things like that here. That hey, I at least you don't live in Palm Coast. Uh, you know what? At least I don't live in California. <laughs> nah, there you go. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Yeah, no shit. I don't drink and I'll drink to that. Um... Very pick one. Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Ceviche. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good. Oxford English Dictionary. You can go and get it to say any word you want. Um, That's nice. Now, where were we? <laughs> uh, in honour of Jeannie, I think we need to go with the, the, the giant bag of wind. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so this is part one. This is this is how I knew to go and look up that story from. Oh God, what is the name of this magazine? Um, uh, DefenseNews.com. Because like I'll read anything, but this this is where I knew to look for this from. Epic, the Electronic Privacy Information Coalition. Uh, pursues FOI requests at DHS concerning aerial surveillance, social media monitoring, and ID theft. EPIC has submitted an urgent FOI request to the Department of Homeland Security about aerial surveillance, social media monitoring, and ID theft, following statements by DHS Secretary John Kelly in a congressional hearing on Homeland Security. 
the secretary described plans to expand the use of aerostats, surveillance blimps, and monitoring of social media. The secretary also stated that he has been a victim of a data breach. The EPIC FOIA request follows earlier cases bought by EPIC, which revealed efforts by the DHS to expand aerial surveillance within the United States, develop techniques for pre-crime detection, uh, interrupt internet service, as well as the impermissible monitoring of social media services and news organizations. So that was how I knew that I needed to go to Defense One. Defense One is really one of one of the more interesting sort of um, news services for the defense contractors and the defense industry. After Blimp's wild ride, Jalen's program will fly again, Norad says, Washington. After an embarrassing incident last fall where the joint land attack cruise missile defense elevated netted sensor system, Jalen's, broke free in Maryland and floated into Pennsylvania, dragging its mooring line. Well, it dragged its mooring line and it dragged down power lines. Let's not forget that. It appears the controversial surveillance blimp will fly again. Investigations into what happened that late October day are completed and Jalen's revival is being closely coordinated among other organizations involved. The system will require putting together a new fire control aerostat, training personnel, implementing recommended changes and procedures, and more money. Of course, always more money. Major Beth Smith, a spokeswoman for North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD, and U.S. Northern Com uh, Command told Defense News, Jay Lenz broke free from its mooring station just outside of Aberdeen Proving Ground, Maryland, and traveled across Pennsylvania, causing several large power outages by hitting power lines with its long tether. The blimp required two F-16 fighter jets to escort it on its lumbering journey across the Pennsylvania countryside. The system finally deflated enough to fall out of the sky, landing slowly in a field. State troopers then fired on the blimp to get it to fully deflate. The Raytheon made JLEN system consists of both a fire control system aerostat and a surveillance aerostat and was undergoing a three-year operational exercise. The system is capable of tracking swarming boats and vehicles and detecting and tracking cruise missile threats. It can see all the way from Norfolk, Virginia into Boston. The exercise was meant to decide Jalen's fate, whether to keep the system permanently moored in Maryland, whether the Army decides to buy more than just one or two systems it now already has. The Army Combat Readiness Center and the Cruise Missile Defense Systems Joint Product Office concluded that Jalen's didn't escape due to one mistake or a single design flaw, but a combination of design, human error, and procedural issues, Smith said. Investigators found that the incident resulted from a loss of air pressure in the blimp's tail fins, according to Smith, which was caused by a malfunctioning pressure-sensing device called a pilot tube. The loss of pressure caused the aerostat to become unstable in the air. The loss of aerodynamic efficiency, along with increased wind drag, exacerbated the tension on the aerostat's tether to the point of breakage, Smith said. The results of the investigation have been briefed up to the military chain of command, including Defense Secretary Ash Carter, who concurs that the JLENS should continue with its operational exercise. JLENS provides unique cruise missile defense capability to our integrated air defense system for the National Capital Region. It is in the best interest of the nation to continue to program. Uh, investigators took a hard look at the causes of the incident, and I am confident that we have a plan of action to fly the aerostat again. Um, 
Bill Gortney, commander of NORAD and NOFCOM, said in a statement obtained by Defense News. Now it's up to Congress to decide what to do with JLENs. The system's funding was cut by $30 million in fiscal 2016 defense spending bill. This left the program with just $10.5 million. The cut was made to a test schedule delay. President Obama's fiscal 2017 budget request released this week funds the JLENs program for at $45.5 million for the combatant combined ex- command exercise. The request also notes the Army intends to fund the program in fiscal 2018 at just $6.7 million when the expense exercise is supposedly slated to end. The fiscal 2017 funding provides new equipment training, execution operations of the JLENs exercise program in support of NORAD NORTHCOM Operation Noble Eagle and government program management support of the JLENs exercise, the request reads. Funding will go towards reconstituting equipment damage as a result of the accident and implementing corrective actions. Actions. Part of that includes reestablishing the only other existing JLEN system that has been in storage to allow reparticipation, the document states. Um, comments? The military want its big balloon. It's Can they retarded. get it in the shape of a dog? <laughs> it's fucking, this is fucking retarded. This is retarded. And that they they were talking about how the only reason that it broke free from its mooring was because of a pilot tube error and pressure sensing into the tail fin that kept it stable. Um, What are you going to do when you get gale force winds anyway? (laughs) Well, apparently that's not a problem in Maryland. That just doesn't ever happen, except for that one time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the fact that they say, oh, it wasn't just one thing. There's, like, multiple things went wrong. It's like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. you... Sh- disaster planning? It's what the military are supposed to do with their equipment? Yeah, but I mean... Uh, like is- the mooring cable? Ridiculous. It should have been I mean, able they're... to take a hundred times the pressure that could possibly yeah. come from that device. Exactly. I mean, there's a... There's a reason why we don't use mass numbers of blimps. There's a reason why the Goodyear blimp is only out on certain occasions. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this thing was just... I remember we covered this when they first stuck it up in the fucking air. And I I remember this story just showing these pictures, these fucking blimps. And they're going, they're practically invisible. No, they're not. You can see if those you're sons blind. of bitches. <laughs> they're practically, they're a big white blimp. They're blocking out a huge portion of the sunny sky. I think people notice that. Right, and yeah. this. if, if, right, the, Trump's probably listening because he's paranoid. Um, if, <laughs> if terrorists were going to attack with cruise missiles, because they've probably got some by now, um, yeah, they just need to send some guy close to where that thing is with a surface-to-air missile and it's gone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not just me. I mean, this is a ridiculous plan and we're spending a lot of money to put blimps up in the air when there is far better technology. Is there not to do the same thing? I'm really worried about ICBMs and the like. There is better technology out there than a fucking blimp. Well, yeah, I mean, the the um, Los Alamos test ground about 15 years ago developed a 
radar tracking system for NORAD, which can live track 50,000 supersonic objects simultaneously across the whole of North America. That includes Canada (laughs) and Mexico. Basically, it covers the whole area. It takes the existing radar images (laughs) and tracks everything from uh, pigeon size upwards. But i got to have my blimp. I've yeah. got to have my blimp. I don't understand this. It's beyond stupid. You're taking failed technology and you're pouring millions of dollars into it. Because why? Because it exists and you don't want to miss that. Because whichever colonel slash general's in charge of the project wants, uh, wants a job with... Uh, uh, what's the name of the company? <laughs> After Raytheon? he retires. So, yeah. Raytheon. It's a Raytheon product. Jeannie, how much you want to bet that this uh, this Jalen's program doesn't cost anywhere near that much, especially with the results that they're getting? No. And they're using this as a slush fund to, filter, to funnel those funds into something else that they want to do and they don't want anybody to know. Of course. I mean, come on. Do you really think we sell $9,000 toilet seats and $20,000 hammers? No. Do you, you know what I'm talking about, right? I want a $20,000 <laughs> hammer. This thing want... better be able to it better be able to drive nails with the power of its mind. <laughs> I want a $9,000 toilet seat because that thing better clean the toilet when it's done being used. Here, got a secret for you. <laughs> Walmart, they've got them, but they sell them I, real cheap. I know, I know, I know. I'm just being a smartass. Do you remember that guy who got fired for, uh, what was it? Somebody borrowed his spanner. He worked in the Air Force. You, you might remember this yeah, story. Yeah, this is in the UK. There's a guy who worked yeah. at RAF Lossiemouth. And yeah. the spanner was missing from his toolkit when he's servicing yeah. one of the Nimrod aircraft. Sure. So instead of, you know, not having the aircraft fly the next day, he nipped down to a hardware store and bought an identical spanner, which matched mm-hmm. the rest of the set in the toolcase. Mm-hmm. But when they found out, he got fired. Yep. <laughs> because it wasn't bought through the official defense contractor. Yeah, and he saved him about 945 pounds doing that. <laughs> Somewhere, yes. So, you know, come on. $9,000 hammer or $20,000 hammer. I'm sure Billy Mays could hook him up with something for cheaper than that. <laughs> Isn't Billy Mays dead? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, yes, but he lives on through the power of OxyClean. Um, yes. Okay. So, Jeremy. And, over, and over Shlomi is still, uh, yeah, well, you know. You remember, <laughs> you remember over Shlomi? Hmm. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, so I he mean, went by the he went by the name Vince Ofer on the commercials for the Sham Wow, and he was oh out getting hookers on the weekend. Oh God, that 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 guy with that weird hair, yeah, yeah, that was him. Okay, so pick a story. Uh, browser history alone can give away your identity because this scares the shit out of me. Okay. All right. So, you know, we talk about privacy and we talk about security here. Uh, there is a reason why everybody in this room is a little more, I don't want to say paranoid, but maybe just aware of, of what you say, what you do, 
and your online persona coming back to haunt you in real life. Yellow cake. <laughs> I didn't Great say it this, like I didn't say it this time, y'all. <laughs> your browser history alone can give away your identity, but I, we're all on a we're all on some sort of watch list now. Very knows the most. I'm the nosiest, and it, we're all on some sort of watch list. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Advertisers would give just about anything to be able to lurk over your shoulder as you browse the internet. They want to know what sites you visit, how you get to them, how long you spend on them, and where you go next, along with as much personal information about you as they can get. Of course, they don't have to be in the room to figure out any of that. Dozens of trackers embedded in nearly every website collect information about how you interact with the page, and cookies stored in your browser tell advertisers how often you visited the site before. But the holy grail is the ability to string all this information together to create profiles that corresponds to each individual user. That is, creating a complete picture of each person on the internet beyond just scattered data points. Companies that compile user profiles generally do do so pseudonymously. Uh, they may know a lot of demographic details about you, but they don't usually connect your behavior to your individual identity. But a group of researchers at Stanford and Princeton developed a system that can connect your profile to your name and identity just by examining your browser history. When the team tested the technique on 400 real people who submitted their browsing history, they were able to correctly pick out the volunteers' Twitter profiles nearly three-quarters of the time. Here's how the de-anonymization system works. The researchers figured that a person is more likely to click a link that was shared on social media by a friend or a friend of a friend than any other random link on the internet. Their model controls for the baseline popularity of each website. With that in mind and the details of an anonymous person's browser history in hand, the researchers can compute the probability that any one Twitter user created that browsing history. People's basic tendency to follow links they come across on Twitter unmask them, and it usually takes them less than a minute. For testing, the researchers recruited volunteers to download a Google Chrome extension that extracted their browsing history. Since Twitter uses a propriety URL shortener, .t.co, it was easy to tell which sites were arrived at by the social network. The study pulled as much as 100 recently visited t.co links from each user and ran them through the de-anonymization system. And when the seconds, the program spit back the top 15 results from all possible Twitter users in order of confidence. Volunteers were asked which profile was theirs if it appeared at all and had the option to sign into Twitter to prove their identity. The algorithm picked the right program 72 right profile 72% of the time. 81% of the time the right profile was in the top 15. For this technique to work in the real world where people don't readily volunteer their browsing history for science, a snooper would need to access their target's digital trail another way. From advertisers to internet service providers to spy agencies, many groups have access to at least part of your browsing history. An advertiser with trackers deployed across the web might have a good enough snapshot of an individual's activity to be able to de-anonymize their profiles. But there are a few ways that users can stymie trackers. Ad blockers like Ghostry, yeah, and Privacy Badger, excellent, with a horrible learning curve, for example, can keep them from gathering the data they need. Internet service providers like Comcast and Verizon can access many details about where their customers go on the internet, except when the customers visit websites that use HTTPS protocol. And there is a browser add-on that automatically directs you to HTTPS websites and won't let you visit them that aren't encrypted that way. 
a protocol that encrypts traffic sent to and from the network. Can't see details about visits URLs that begin with HTTPS dot slash slash. Even so, people can still be identified by unencrypted HTTP sites they visit. The researchers were able to amass nearly a third of volunteers in the experiment using just HTTP traffic. And a powerful nation-state actor would have an easier time accessing people's browser histories. The NSA's upstream collection programs, which scoop up enormous amounts of data as it passes through critical phrase pieces of the Internet's infrastructure, could piece together someone's history without any trouble at all. Of course, there are probably other ways the NSA could figure out who you are without resorting to these researchers' de-anonymizing methods. Ultimately, if you want to use Twitter under your own name, there's little you can do to thwart this de-anonymization technique. Our de-anonymization attack didn't use any easily fixed flaw in the Twitter service, said Anish Shuka, a graduate student at Stanford and one of the paper's authors. Users behaving normally revealed everything we needed to know. As such, the researcher strongly implies that open social networks ETL logging and privacy are at odds. You can simultaneously have only two. That means that maintaining privacy while using Twitter is impossible without opting out of the social network's trademark feature. It's public free-for-all nature. This alternative, keeping your online comings and goings from being cataloged, is a long shot. Browser features like Safari's private browsing or Chrome's incognito mode with its sneaky-looking fedora and glasses branding aren't real defenses against any de-anonymization. Once incognito or private windows are closed, they delete the trail history left on the browser itself, but don't prevent trackers, internet service providers, or certainly spy agencies from eavesdropping on traffic. Using Tor, please don't do that. On the other hand, a program that anonymizes internet browsing by bouncing traffic randomly across a network of servers would probably deter all but the most dogged spies, except for, well, they have problems now. We speculate that this attack can only be carried out using, against Tor users by well-resourced organizations on high-value targets, Shulka Robe. Thanks cyber espionage, government intelligence, and the like. But for the average user who might not be familiar with advanced privacy-preserving techniques, or who might be more interested in following interesting people on Twitter and keeping their identity safe from marketers or their internet service provider, the veil of ano online anonymity, anonymity, anonymity is thin. And Jessica Sue, one of the paper's authors and a Stanford PhD candidate, pointed out even a person who retrains from tweeting publicly in order to remain anonymous can be unmasked. The conventional wisdom is you should be careful what you share, Sue said. But here we show you can be de-anonymized if you just browse and follow people without actually sharing anything. See? Who wants to behave normally? Yeah. You get tracked. Yeah, well... <laughs> I I highly recommend you don't use Tor. Not anymore. Am I wrong? Very. Well, depends what you're using it for. But, yeah, it has got holes in it. So, yeah. Holes? It's not secure. Yeah. You could drive, the CIA could drive a truck through the holes in that. Yeah, but then most security systems have issues. So. Yeah, yeah but I mean. Tor was kind of developed by a spy agency. I, I don't know, but there are other options, and you've mentioned them before. I don't know if you've mentioned them on here, but there are other options for people who don't want to be tracked. You know, there are other options out there. There are other ways to access the internet through different kind of Tor nodes. And what's absolutely funny to me is I talk about like the blog Shriner on Security a lot. And uh, some of the things that he has posted recently um, won't let you access them with Tor nodes. 
they've blacklisted all the tour notes because of the tour problems. The funny part about that is Bruce Shiner, um, who runs Shiner on security and is an expert, is on the board of tour. <laughs> I just think that's hysterical. So I can guarantee a lot of people that, don't trust it. God, I can guarantee that whoever the guy is that has to follow my web browser history, that guy needs counseling. <laughs> <laughs> Because oh, yeah, I'm and, looking at a lot of off-the-wall shit. And, and for anyone who's interested, uh, yeah, the, 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 the one I I have talked about before is I2P. Yep. Which is not yeah. just a browser. You can do all sorts of things with it. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying I, I don't recommend Tor anymore. Oh, and somebody you've mentioned using a VPN. Yeah, that doesn't help against hackers or people who are no. trying to track you. Yes, yeah. it helps mask your your IP address, but it doesn't hide the personal information. Um, yeah, I mean that's the, the information's still going out. It's just going out via a, a third party server. Mm. But if they're wanting to watch you, that doesn't make a difference. But it really doesn't. But if everybody would make it as hard as possible for these fuckers to track them, they'd be doing a lot better. Ghostery yeah. is very good. Ghostery, you can, and I, I don't recommend that you get it from the app store, but you can download Ghostery and slap it up right now. Yeah, wherever you can possible, get... always download software from from the original. <laughs> yeah, writers. you can go to you can go to EFF right now, and you oh, can download. Um, it's being said with a VPN, they can't track your location with a VPN. Yes, they can mm. if they know what they're doing. <laughs> um, you can go to the Electronic Frontier Foundation right now and you can get yourself Privacy Badger and yeah. Privacy Badger has a bit of a learning curve but yeah. my god that ship that ship blocks everything you think you're paranoid you have no idea so you know there are other options out there uh, I don't yeah, I mean, you need to, you need to use. it's not just a case of you need to do the one thing if you want to keep your data you have to do all of it you need to do the the paranoid things all <laughs> yes. the time you need you, you need, need a vpn have... you need the privacy blockers you need um, yeah you yeah. need a lot preferably of you need for... your i your your isp to give you a variable isp so you can, so it changes automatically on yeah. its own anyway uh, mm -hmm. most of them don't these days uh, nope no you know, stuff but, like that. Yeah. Oh, but I and mean, you, you, you don't use your real name anywhere online. That's another good one. Yeah. Make up there, your date of birth. <laughs> there, there <laughs> are, are things that I might have been doing my whole life. Um, <laughs> there, there are. Just because you want privacy, doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. No. It just means you have a human need for that the reason why we have shades and why we have blinds and why we have curtains on our windows why we have doors you can't see through and windows you can't see through it's because hey you know maybe i want to walk around in a thong and lip sync to madonna i don't but i'm just saying maybe somebody does you know maybe my dad does that who knows but either way there's a reason why people are interested in privacy and yeah. if you're that interested in privacy, it takes a little bit of work. And it will yeah, I mean, the, the ultimate uh, usually involves having to uproot your life and move to a commune in Germany. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. My name isn't Laura Poitras. I'm not doing that. Yeah. So, that's, that's the yeah. only way to completely drop off the radar. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's true. All right. And they kind of know where you are because you're where they can't kinda. see. So, yeah. Kind of, but not really. Yeah. Um. Okay, so... Netflix, anybody? Uh, heroic AI will let you spy on your lawmakers every word. You, you really want to? You really want to do that one now? All right. Mm, maybe That's fine. You, you can still do it at your leisure. Uh, a heroic AI will let you spy on your lawmakers every word. Now, I have always said the only really good thing about the fact that the internet has made it that you can't hide. It means they can't fucking hide. Okay. No one knows better than Sam Blanksy that your elected officials operate in the shadows. No one is sure what they do or say. He knows because he used to be one of them. As a Republican state senator and assemblyman in California, Blanksy worked on negotiating the state budget and drafting bills around the energy sector and lobbying reform. And he did it as did his fellow legislators, far from the prying eyes of the very people he was representing. That's one reason why, when Blanksley left government, he began working with students on a way to automate government accountability. Digital democracy is like YouTube for local government hearings, bolstered with a splash of artificial intelligence. Bots create transcripts of lawmakers' every official utterance at the statehouse and use face recognition software to keep track of who's speaking. Voters can search the transcripts by speaker and subject, while at the same time getting a glimpse of legislators' financial ties. This nonprofit effort launched in California back in 2015, and today it's expanding to New York. We're keenly aware that most legislators operate in the dark and with impunity, says Blanksley, now founding director for the Institute of Advanced Technology and Public Policy at Cal Poly. Their constituents don't know what they say or what they do behind closed doors. The Digital Democracy Platform, funded by the Laura and John Arnold Foundation and the Rita Allen Foundation, is a collaboration between man and machine. Students at Cal Poly review each transcript for accuracy before it goes live. They also compile a profile page for each legislator, complete with itemized list of gifts that person has received. Government in the past has been, you vote, I decide, says Gavin Newstrom the Lieutenant Governor of California, former Mayor of San Francisco, and co-founder of Digital Democracy. That model is in peril, and Donald Trump exploited it brilliantly. Well, technically speaking, and I'm not sticking up for anybody, I'm just saying, technically speaking, after eight years of one legislator, the country flips and votes for the other party. That's just the way it fucking goes. It's gone that way for years. It very rarely differs. <clears throat> Not surprisingly, Newstrom says California lawmakers were none too thrilled when the platform launched. We wax on about the importance of transparency in public forums, but we don't always practice what we preach, he said. Dates of play. The expansion of digital democracy comes at an opportune time. Not only is the public hungry for accountability both inside and outside of Washington, D.C., but as Trump works to roll back federal legislation on everything, from healthcare to environmental protections, the future of those policies will be in the state's hands. The Trump administration is making a number of decisions that would push issues back to the state houses across the country, Blanksley says. 
This is a perfect moment if you want to make a difference to engage in the politics in your state. That may be true, but in other critical ways, the digital democracy platform couldn't be more of a mismatch for this particular time. Most people today will share a link without ever reading the story it references. Americans consume their news in bite-sized tweets and push alerts. In California, journalists with the patience and time to sift through the transcripts have been digital democracy's most frequent users. Even Newsom acknowledges it's not exactly user-friendly. It's a data dump, he says. But both Newsom, a Democrat, and Blanksley, a Republican, worry that curation could threaten the platform's objectivity. It's harder to cry fake news about a video that's presented in full without commentary. The founders are also joining up with other organizations that have become instrumental in holding politicians accountable. Cal Poly students will soon run their hearing transcripts through an AI tool called Claimbuster, which automatically detects for associations of facts and then feeds those statements to Polyfact for fact-checking. The nonprofit is also rolling out an enhanced version that will enable other organizations to embed videos directly on their websites. Meanwhile, Digital Democracy has plans to expand to Florida and Texas, at which point the platform will reach one-third of the country's citizens. In time, Newsom hopes that Digital Democracy will be a platform on which developers of politically-minded tech build other apps. That will take time. For now, putting these videos in citizens' hands is simply a much-needed step towards transparency at a time when so much policymaking is anything but. It's not a perfect system. Then again, neither is democracy. And democracy is my rule. It's not exactly what this is supposed to be. Yeah, no, we're constitutional republic. Why do people not understand that? Because they've been told for years we're a democracy. We're not a democracy. <laughs> I mean, for, for fuck's sake, in North Korea, they say they're a democracy. In South Korea, they say they're a democracy. Uh, which one of those is wrong? <laughs> Just saying. So, any thoughts about that? It's about damn time. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, there have been. This is a more organized effort. Effort, yeah. Because mm -hmm. obviously, Mr. Assange and WikiLeaks uh, mm -hmm. kind of do this, but we not as well. Because <laughs> no, they just dump they, it. They just get raw data and just dump it. Yeah, they. They do dump it. That's why Assange fell out with all his initial backers and software engineers and experts, because they all wanted to vet the information. And he was like, "No, we'll dump it raw." Right? <laughs> that means there's no fact checking, no anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no censoring that can protect people's lives. Yeah, that's a big one. I mean, don't get me wrong. That was the one I that like... they fell out with him over. Yeah, yeah I mean, was don't get me wrong. Yeah, I mean. Names of the innocent should be stricken from the record. You know what I mean? That ju that's just something that that should be good journalism. I mean, well, am I right? Yes. And what about the um, the cases where the CIA was flooding WikiLeaks with false data begin to begin with? Yep. There's no there's no fact checking, so just dump it all. Well, I mean, I've said to John before as well. Even some of the Snowden stuff's probably not true. Well, I mean, and, and they'll that's be deliberately the planting false information yeah. on their databases in case they do get hacked. I mean, military have been doing that's that since World do. War I mean, II. I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, okay. Um, all right, you want to talk about false information? Who believes absolutely everything written in the Operation North was documents? No. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Nobody knows what Operation Northwoods is. Yeah, it was the one where they were talking about false flag. They were going to try and Cuba. Uh, false yeah, flag Cuba. With Cuba. With uh, yeah, they were going to blow up like a drone airliner that was painted yep. to look like one of our airliners. Um, mm -hmm. And they were going to go in and they were going to give weapons to the rebels and sort of all the things they've done in Syria. But yeah. also, well, pretending to attack our infrastructure and stuff to start well, a war that's, with Cuba. That's nothing new, though, because us... Uh, no, they've done it like, before. Us, us tinfoil hat-wearing mofos. I mean, we always remember back, hey, remember the main. Does nobody remember the main? I think a better... Well, no. I mean, that's true. I, I, to me, the the hallmark of that has always been the Lusitania. That has always been... That, that is the hallmark. That's what got us into World War One. That's when we knew this ship work. Yeah. Right? And that, that's the one thing you can point to and go... Okay, I know you think I'm crazy when I say that this happened, but here's all this documentation. And this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this proves my assertion that the Lusitania was sailed directly into enemy waters with women and children on the ship. And it carried weapons in enemy territory <laughs> where the Germans were actually running newspaper ads. You, you remember this very, don't you? Telling people not to get on ships yeah. heading into this area because they would be, they would be blown to kingdom yeah, come. Because they knew the American ships were going to carry arms. <laughs> sure. Um, exactly. And every newspaper, but one or two in the United States refused to accept money from the German government to run these ads. As a consequence, men, women, and children got on the Lusitania and they died. And that got us into the, the war. Yeah. I mean, it's the info war has been going on for a very long time. I was actually watching <laughs> I was actually watching a documentary last night about the East India Trading Company. Okay. Um, British Empire, we originated a lot of this shit. But yeah, <laughs> all the, the propaganda war about the East India Trading Company stuff Britain did in India. Um yeah, very nasty stuff. We did the same in China. You guys got involved with us on that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a long history of deliberately creating issues so that you have excuses. Oh, oh did um, anybody say see today that William Brin Brinley sued the NSA? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> Yeah, he sued them. Um, just since we're talking about false flags and government bullshit, I think it was William Brinney. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tom, yeah. Former CIA analyst sues Defense Department to vindicate NSA whistleblowers. Uh, I'm going to read this. We'll stick it in the notes in a minute. In 2010, Thomas Drake, a former senior employee at National Security Agency, was charged with espionage for speaking to a reporter from the Baltimore Sun about a bloated, dysfunctional intelligence program that he believed would violate Americans' privacy. The case against him eventually fell apart, and he pled guilty to a single misdemeanor, but his career in the NSA was over. Though Drake was largely vindicated, the central questions he raised about technology and privacy have never been resolved. Almost seven years have passed now, but Pat Eddington, a former CIA analyst, is still trying to prove that Drake was right. 
While working for Representative Rush Holt, Democrat in New Jersey, Eddington had the unique opportunity to comb through still classified documents that outline the history of two competing NSA programs known as Thin Thread and Trailblazer. He's seen unredacted versions of the Pentagon Inspector General's 2004 audit of the NSA's failures during that time and has filed Freedom of Information Act requests. In January, Eddington decided to take those efforts a step further by suing the Department of Defense to obtain the material he tells The Intercept. These documents completely vindicate those who had advocated for thin thread at personal risks at Eddington. The controversy dates back to 1996 when Ed Loomis, a then computer systems designer for the NSA, along with his team, worked to move the NSA's collection capabilities from the analog to the digital world. The shift would allow the NSA to scoop up internet packets, string them together into legible communications and automating a process to instantly decide which communications were the most interesting while masking anything from Americans. This prototype, called Grandmaster, would need to ingest vast amounts of data, but only spit out what was most valuable, deleting or encrypting everything else. Then in the fall of 2001, four passenger airliners were hijacked by terrorists as part of a suicide plot against Washington, D.C. and New York City. The U.S. intelligence community faced a disturbing wake-up call. Its vast collection systems had failed to prevent the attacks. Yet, in the response, the NSA simply started to collect more data. The NSA sent out a bid to multiple defense contractors seeking a program that could collect and analyze communications from phones and the internet. Science Applications Internal Corporation, or SAIC, won the contract known as Trailblazer. Meanwhile, internally, NSA employees were developing a similar, less costly alternative called ThinThread, a follow-on to Grandmaster. ThinThread would collect online communications, sort them, and mask data belonging to Americans. Those involved in ThinThread argued that their approach was better than a collected-all approach taken by the NSA. Bulk collection kills people, says Bill Bimming, a former NSA analyst who rose to a senior technical official with the dream of automating the agency's espionage. You collect everything, dump it on the analyst, and they can't see the threat coming. Can't stop it, he said. Binney built a back-end system, a processor that would draw on data collected by ThinThread, analyze it, look at whether or not the traffic involves American citizens, and pass on what was valuable for foreign intelligence. Bulk acquisition doesn't work, agrees Kirk Webb, a former NSA senior analyst who was trying to help convince the NSA of ThinThread's value at the time. The analysts are drowning in data, and Bimley and Weebney believe ThinThread would have solved the problem by helping the NSA sort through the deluge automatically while protecting privacy using encryption. But Bimley and Weeby say advocates of ThinThread hit every possible bureaucratic roadblock on the way, sitting in dozens of meetings with lawyers and lawmakers. In the meantime, General Michael Hayden, the director of the NSA at the time, said he decided to fund an outside contract for a larger effort, focused on gathering all communications, not just those over the internet, as ThinThread was designed to do. Additionally, while ThinThread masked Americans' communications, Hayden's legal and technical advisors were concerned that the collection itself would be a problem. Some of Hayden's senior officials at the NSA came from SAIC, the company that won the contract to design a proof of concept for Trailblazer. A tiny group of people at the NSA developed the capacity for next to no money at all to give the government an unprecedented level of access to any number of foreign terrorists, Eddington said. Instead, that system was shut down in favor of an SAIC boondoggle that cost the taxpayers, by my last count, close to a billion dollars. He argues the contract and the incestuous relationship between the NSA's chief and the contractor never received the scrutiny it deserved. It was clearly an ethical problem, Loomis said. 
Ultimately, however, the NSA went with Trailblazer. Hayden rejected the thin-thread proposal because the intelligence community's lawyers were concerned it wouldn't work on a global scale and that it would vacuum up too much American data. Hayden has continued dismissing concerns years later as grumblings of disgruntled employees. Um, Hayden told PBS Frontline ThinThread was not the answer to the problems we're facing with regard to the volume, variety, and velocity of modern communications. In 2002, Weeby, Bimmy, Loomis, Drake, and Diane Rourke, a Republican staffer on the House Intelligence Committee who had been advocating for ThinThread, united to complain to the Defense Department's Inspector General, arguing that ThinThread, while still a prototype, would be the best surveillance system. The oversight body competed, completed its report in 2004, which included major concerns about Trailblazer. We talked about going for the nuclear option, we said, referring to discussions at the time about contacting the press. But Drake went it alone, however, never telling his colleagues what he planned to do. Stories about the disagreement started showing up in news headlines based on leaks. The Bush administration in 2007 sent the FBI after the whistleblowers, reading each of the whistleblowers' homes who raised complaints to the Pentagon's inspector general. Drake faced espionage charges after speaking to a reporter from the Baltimore Sun about the alleged mismanagement and waste in the NSA. Though Drake wasn't sent to prison, he lost his current government and now works at an Apple store. The question of whether ThinThread would have provided a better capacity than Trailblazer was never resolved. While ThinThread never made it to production, some of the analytic elements, minus the privacy protections, made it into Fort Meade as part of a massive surveillance program now known as Stellar Wind. But there may be a way to settle the debate. The watchdog agency tasked with oversight of the Department of Defense completed a full investigation into the battle between ThinThread and Trailblazer. The Pentagon Inspector General published a heavily redacted version of that investigation in 2011. That report is now the only public record available, aside from the account of the whistleblowers who exposed it. Despite everything that's come out about surveillance program, the NSA still won't release the full FinFred investigation. I don't really know what they're trying to hide, Loomis said. Loomis said he thinks the redactions were more for the sake of Hayden's reputation than protecting real classified information. He eventually documented the saga in a self-published book titled NSA's Transformation, an executive branch's black eye. Drake told The Intercept in an email that efforts to uncover the Pentagon's Inspector General's thin threat investigation were a large part of his defense. Since then, the Office of Special Counsel concluded last March that the Department of Justice may have destroyed evidence that might have helped exonerate him. In the meantime, however, hope is fading that the entire story of thin thread will emerge from behind the government door of secrecy. We've been trying for 15 or 16 years now to bring the U.S. government the technical solution to save lives, but they fight us left and right, said Weeby. Eddington said the thin thread controversy demonstrates the lack of oversight in the intelligence community. The mentality that gave us the system is still in place, he said. We could see this become de facto permanent, he said. Yay. Yeah, like we said, they're hoovering up all the data and they don't have a way in place to filter it so that you get something useful quickly. And why Why would you want something quickly useful? Because yeah. obviously you definitely need something extremely unuseful really quickly. I, as, I just, I don't... As, as far as I'm aware, and obviously I can't know for definite, GCHQ right. <laughs> in the UK, they don't take all data like the NSA is doing. They have well, algorithms I mean, which automatically identify problem data and just take it. 
as it's mean? as it's going out over the internet live, you know they have key searches, and right. when something relating to that that information is mentioned anywhere, yeah, they but grab our key search, our key searches, even our key searches, in, as Americans suck yeah. because a lot of them come from um, uh, what what are they called fusion centers? Yeah, right. If it you know. There's so many of the, you know, I think libertarian is actually a key search in America. Yeah, we, we covered a story about that. Yeah, the, so didn't we? The, the list of, yeah, they're, they're terrible. The, the, the list is horrendously bad and it's never updated. Per, well, stuff's never taken off it. Yeah, exactly. Stuff's added to it constantly. So, so there's probably stuff there from the, the 70s. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Groovy, baby. Uh, so yeah, it's got that going for it, but, um, yeah, it's kind of sad about thin thread. That would have been, that would have been nice. I mean, I think it's good to hear about it now, yeah. but it's just, it's so sad. And Cause, yeah, anyone with a brain knows you can't just grab all the data. You need to have targeted, targeted searching. Well, I mean, Shit, that just... Google have built a global business empire on this fact. I mean, <laughs> yep. And... No, we're going to get a bunch of high school student age pimply faced analysts to sit around who have the attention span of a grain of long white rice anyway. <laughs> well, actually, I think most of the geeks are probably better off doing this shit than the people in the Department of Defense. I mean, we, Vary and I have talked about this before. Me and Vary and Jeannie have talked about how bad, for instance, the Supreme Court is with data. Like, they don't understand what email is, right? They don't. So they don't understand how the Fourth Amendment applies to it because, just for instance, do you know how they communicate with each other there? Um, I'm going to say... No, I'm not going to say. <laughs> okay, they, they communicate with each other using quill and parchment with messengers. Okay. Okay, wow. so they're, yeah, they're, they're living in the 1850s, baby. So they have no idea of how this stuff works, especially if they don't use it in their day-to-day -day lives. And I have a feeling that most of them do not. So it's probably better to have the pimply-faced kids who at least work with it, work with yeah. it, than to have, you know, somebody who's been at NORAD or, or SAC Command their whole career, you know, dealing with it. They obviously don't have a clue about it. True. I don't know, but I thought that was interesting that, you know, somebody's actually suing the NSA. Yeah, they just want information, but still, they're suing them. It's kind of a kind of a big deal. As long as they don't go rushing on his ass. Um. <laughs> oh no, sure he's been poisoned. What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I don't know. How did he get polonium in his system? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, you're bent to have seen the story that uh, one of the Putin's opposition has just been poisoned for the second time. He survived the first attempt. They've given it another go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the only way to survive if you're against the, the party in power in Russia is kind of... Well, was it Rasputin who poisoned himself deliberately all the time yeah he built he built up a, a uh, immunity an immunity 
But yeah. yeah, they also stabbed, shot, and beat the shit out of him, so it didn't end well either. <laughs> anyway. Well, but... I mean, it, it didn't end well, but I mean, you know, to finish him off, they had to drown the son of a bitch. So, I mean, you know, no, he no, was not he didn't, going. didn't drown him, he fell in the river. <laughs> ah, well. I'm just saying, it didn't end well for him, yeah. but, you know, he made it hard for them. <laughs> that was a job of work to kill him. Yeah, with a bullet in his back. But yeah, it's still a job of work to kill him. I mean, there's something about Russia and poison. They just kind of go together. I, I don't know why. It's traditional there, you know. <laughs> yes, hey, it's it like used the... to be a tradition amongst all the noble families in Europe, actually, poisoning. Yeah, that's why the we women had the Borgias in Italy, and you know, out in yes. France, Germany, most most countries, yeah, poisoning each the... other. That, that was normal diplomacy, you know. That's why the women always had those lovely poison rings. Which can be handy if you have to take headache medicine, by the way. <laughs> I've had one. They're they're lovely and useful. Yeah. So yeah. Some of them are really, really nice too. Yeah. They are. Yeah, just fill it full of BC powder and you're good. <laughs> Little strychnine. <laughs> no. Arsenic. Not for me, thank you. It's just in BC Italy, powder. <laughs> in, in Italy it's cocaine. Okay. <laughs> That is very true when you look at their wastewater uh, analyzation. <laughs> did you did you get the comment that or the the message that I sent you the other night about that? Uh, probably not. <laughs> where I was, where I'd said, "Wow, their equivalent dose is a tenth of a gram." Oh yeah, I saw that. That was funny. They're not partying as hard <laughs> as they think they are. I think it's just less. It's less of them partying. There's there's some some there's a lot less partying going on somewhere in Europe, probably the <laughs> UK, uh, in in the next few months. I've just clicked a story in. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. wow! Fifty million pounds of cocaine. Yep. Good. Well, wow. I, I, I can't say anything. Bags full of it. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, you don't know what that is until you've gone out on a boat at night and you're bumping into shit. What is that? You pull it on board, it's a key, it's a couple keys, and you're like, oh, fuck, I don't want this shit on board, get that off of here. Oh, no, Jan, <laughs> when I was probably, I don't know, 16, 17, mm -hmm. we were down partying on South Padre Island, and a mm -hmm. buddy of mine had his pickup down there, we pitched a tent, and we were... We were surfing the, you know, the the early morning waves that were coming in. We had a decent mm -hmm. storm swell, and uh -huh. a buddy of mine, he's sitting there, and I mean, we were already smoking pot at the time anyway, and drinking. And mm -hmm. uh, he's he's he looks out on the water and he says, "Dude, what is that?" And we all look at him and we're like, "Dude, you're tripping! Shut up! There's nothing out there." He's like, "No, dude, there's somebody out there in the water." Man, shut up. And about 10 minutes later, another guy's like, no, dude, I see it too. I was like, man, look, we all need to stop smoking this shit, whatever's in it. <laughs> and a few minutes later, I saw it too. Well, come to find out, the reason why we were seeing it at different stages was it was getting closer to the shore. It was a bale of pot that got dropped off the edge of a boat. <laughs> yeah, they don't just drop we them had off. fun. They don't just drop them off the edge of a boat. They drop them out of planes here. And if you know anything about where I live in Florida, you know, there are private airports all over the place down here that, you know, the bushes and their buddies use that are closed to through traffic. Um, and a lot of times you'll be driving along and you see something fall out of the sky. 
It's like a miracle drug bundle, and nobody knows where they come from. And that's common here. That's well, common. Um, Scotland, quite a while ago, up, up further north than where I used to live. Right. But up, up on the uh, the coast, yeah, there, there, there's, let's face it, the north of Scotland had a freely available supply of slightly salty cannabis. Because um, <laughs> a bale that washed up on a beach, and a farmer might have kept in his barn. Uh, and slightly so for salty. Quite a while before <laughs> the police caught him. <laughs> So, yeah, everybody has experience with this stuff. The the miracle bundles that just fall out of the sky or float along in the water. That, that, that was a good one today. That, I mean, whoever it was that found that was really... <laughs> oh, look, there's uh, bags attached to these empty canisters. <laughs> Open up the bag. What is this strange, slightly brown powder? I mean, 360 <laughs> kilos. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. That and it's is. like if it had been, it was probably a normal person. Can you imagine what if it had been somebody of a <clears throat> more entrepreneurial, shall we say, <laughs> bent? <laughs> My God, three hundred and sixty kilos. Yep, that's uh, that's that's a lot of money right there. About seventy-five million dollars worth. Yeah. Lots of good partying. <laughs> I'll you, bet you Charlie and, and Sheen enough, knows enough exactly to keep, where that was Enough going. to keep Italy happy for quite a while, apparently. Yeah. So, now, speaking of Charlie Sheen, didn't he decide to go with that uh, alternative practitioner who was going to filter his blood to get the AIDS out? Oh, yeah, the one that Magic Johnson used? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just wondered. But you, you guys realize tonight there's, like, an eclipse... Yeah. Full moon and a comet in the sky. That's kind of mm -hmm. cool. So yeah, I is just it, thought. Is it actually it. visible right now? No, but there's a live stream on Facebook. <laughs> uh -oh. They're always uh -oh. these days. Yeah, there uh -oh. has to be. I mean, I can't see shit from here. It's cloudy. I'm, I'm I'm waiting for the live stream of the um, iceberg iceberg carv carving oh, in Antarctica. Because uh, that's going to be a hell of a thing to see. An iceberg the size of a small country falling off the ice shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Um. So yeah. Uh, is is it my turn to pick one? I think it's my uh, turn. I think so. One. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're gonna go with Yoda. Not everybody's favorite little green Jedi master. Yoda. The bill that will let you own and sell your devices is reintroduced in Congress. Representative Blake Farnhold, Republican Texas, and Jared Paulus, Democrat Colorado, just reintroduced their You Own Devices Act, Yoda, a bill that aims to help you reclaim some of your ownership rights in the software-enabled devices you buy. We first wrote about Yoda when it was originally introduced back in 2014. The bills would go a ways towards curbing the abusive end-user license agreements, but making sure companies can't use restrictions on the software within your device to keep you from selling, leasing, or giving away the device when you're done with it. The bill would override EULAs that purport to limit your ability to transfer ownership of a device and software 
and would make sure that whoever ends up with your device has the same access to security and bug fixes that you would have had. Making sure that you can sell and transfer your old devices isn't just good for you, it's good for everyone else as well. Resale markets for consumer products help improve access to affordable technology and provide a valuable resource for innovators. We're pleased to see some members of Congress tackling this issue, and there's a long way to go. Make sure that outdated and unconstitutional copyright laws like Section 1201 don't keep you from controlling your own media and devices. So, Yoda, if you see it come up, you you might want to, you know... Well, mentioned to your Congress critter that that's a good thing for them to To give support. an example of what this legislation uh, will help with, uh-huh. Android phones now, right? Yeah. Google. Mm-hmm. If right. you have a Google account on an Android phone, mm-hmm. and then you... Because I just got a new phone recently, so I mm-hmm. first-hand experience of this. Uh-huh. When you factory reset the phone, mm-hmm. you, you basically... You need to be there when the person buys the phone from you. Because what you need Mm -hmm. to do, basically, is have your account still on the phone Mm -hmm. while they set up their account, then you remove your account. (laughs) Because otherwise, the phone won't accept a new account. Because it's in your Google, if you you go. It's got a Mm -hmm. list of your devices. Right. What you used to be able to do was just go there take the device off your list, fine, whoever had the phone could then put their date on it. No, 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 mm-hmm. no. They, they started putting a lock in. So that you you had to basically have the previous account before you could put a new account on it. Insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure there are ways around it. I haven't looked into it in detail. It wasn't a problem for me. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah. How... Annoying is that, and Yoda should help with things like that. Well, uh, one would hope it would. Because basically, um, that meant that that if if you didn't know about that and you try to sell your Android oh. phone, you'd you'd blank the data, send it to whoever bought it, and they'd go mm-hmm. here. I can't create an account on this phone. <laughs> I want yeah. my money back. <laughs> and it's it's ridiculous because you should own your own data. You should own your own device. I mean. Hopefully this is a first step in getting rid of that ridiculousness. Like if you own a John Deere tractor, you can't perform work on it because it has a computer chip with some proprietary programming in it. Yeah. Hopefully well, that I mean, ends that. Welcome one thing back. I do, mobile phones again, one thing I do mm-hmm. is I never uh, buy, I never get a contract and get the phone with the contract. I always buy the phone myself. Yeah, buy it outright. Yeah. Because then they they, they can't you around with terms and conditions. Yeah, no, then you own that shit. Yeah. Which is the way it goes. You alright? Sorry about that. Yeah, she's over here choking. Stop that! Ornell, or no, not that. Ornell says (laughs) hi. Ornell, I said hi to. Wow. She says hi. Hi. She's over here choking. <laughs> we ate Chinese food, so. Oh, well, you know. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. Down my, the wrong way? Yeah, possibly. My Discord just crashed, and then it wouldn't reload, and it said I wasn't connected to the internet while my phone was, which was weird. And what is the Discord logo? It looks like a set of underpants. It's a <laughs> controller, a games controller. It's, it's, a, it's a game controller. Yeah. No, it's it looks like, like a X- set of boxer briefs. 
Well, it does, but it's supposed to be an Xbox controller light. Uh... With a little face. Yeah, two little joysticks. Yeah. yeah. I'll, never, I'll, yeah. I'll never see it like that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so to you, it's always going to be the twirling underwear pants. Yeah, <laughs> and weird... twirling tidy whities <laughs> Yeah, and oddly enough, it's got a big nose. <laughs> you have to admit, the boot-up messages are hilarious, though. Yeah, they, I, they are. Yeah, I, I actually, I've got to admit, Discord has worked better for me than Skype. And the features they're adding to Discord now are much better. Well, yeah, I mean, it's now got Skype. a lot of the features you had on Skype. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you upload the emoticons you want, and you can use them. You can transfer documents to each other in this, and photos, where you used to be able to do that. And you remember Skype, and you couldn't do that after a while. You couldn't transfer files that were over, what, 50 megabytes, and just yeah. doing stupid shit. Um, and Discord doesn't have any of that on it. You know, it doesn't have any of that restriction. And I just, it, it works better, I think, in my humble opinion. I that like and it. it uses higher quality du duplex sound. So, yeah. It does. And it's lighter. It's not using up as many resources yeah. as Skype. Of course, but the Skype important is... The important one is the duplex communication, because it means I... more than one person can talk at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I will tell you, Skype... When you put Skype on something, right, you realize it, it inf I don't want to say infects, it kind of, I kind of do, because I have Skype on, on my computer system, I have to for when I go to the CASA meetings, um, but it infects, every computer in my house has a piece of Skype in it, even the ones that don't have Skype on it, so it's completely in your system, it's in your router, it's in everything, and it, it's because it's part of Windows it these days. Well, right, but I'm saying even before, and it doesn't really need to be there. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. One that annoys me, right, <laughs> whenever Windows updates, right. you'll like this. My flatmate has a wireless printer. Uh -huh. But obviously okay. for higher speed printing, rather than using it as a full Wi-Fi printer, we have it connected right. to the network. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um and, of course, every time Windows updates, it keeps reinstalling this printer. And I'm like, I don't want that printer. Stop installing <laughs> that printer. God damn it, I've got my own printer. <laughs> so, did you um, did you see the robot story, Gary? Uh, which one? The, well, it's, it's not actually in our show notes. It's well, that's what I mean. There's saying. been several robot stories it, the last week. It can... Yeah, I know. It could replace 250,000 UK public sector yeah. workers' jobs. Yes. Would you think that would be an improvement for... Because you've had to deal with the public sector in quite a... I don't think anyone would actually notice a difference, since most of the people <laughs> doing those jobs are very much like robots anyway. <laughs> so you could, you could actually save quite a lot of money for yeah. everybody, and it would be the same amount of hassle, and no one would even notice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, Shaun of the Dead getting zombies to collect shopping trolleys. <laughs> Similar sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, I love Shaun of the Dead. That's one of my favorite films. Yeah. You got red on you. <laughs> <laughs> that really is a great movie. And I, I love it when he's trying to play Xbox with his friend at the end. Yeah. His friend's trying to avoid him. It's yes. fucking ridiculous. That movie is ridiculous, but it's great, great fun. Um, yeah. 
So where? <clears throat> so I did see that somebody made a huge complaint that you hear this noise. Who the fuck surfs the internet while they're doing a show? That click, click, click noise is making me nuts. I'm like, well, you should listen during a Kassa update because you don't just hear that. You hear me click, click, clicking on the fucking <laughs> keyboard. And that ain't ever going to change till I can have somebody look up data for me. That ain't going to change. Well, I've got a good one. Right. Guess the noise. <laughs> I don't know. What it's is my that? new is mouse. That switch? Ah. It's, it's, got, it's got a button on it. Where uh -huh. you can make the mouse wheel clicky or not clicky. Ah. So if you want to do just silent, fast browsing, you uh -huh. have it not clicky. Mm -hmm. But if you want accuracy, you push the button and it makes it click round one at a time. Ah. Very clever well. stuff. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, noisiest button I've had in ages. <laughs> I can do this one. A uh, former NSA contractor indicted over 50 terabytes of government-classified data theft. That's like, the reason... that's like 10 minutes of data, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but he's been doing this for years, allegedly. Yeah. Um, I think when people remember this guy getting arrested last year, because, yeah. you know, we, we sat here and we went, Booz Allen Hamilton has a real problem. Yeah. You know, they didn't just have Snowden, they had this guy too. A former U.S. National Security Agency contractor has been indicted over an alleged 20-year campaign to steal classified government documents, and he only has 20 terabytes of data. So, yeah, I could outdo him in 20 years, I think. On Wednesday, a federal grand jury indicted Harold Thomas Martin III for what prosecutors say may have been the largest heist of classified government information in history, as reported by Reuters. Um... Snowden. Reports suggest that the alleged theft may also include the majority of the NSA's elite hacking unit's extensive library of hacking tools and software. That's all they have? Is that, do you believe that? That all they have is 50 terabytes of that? That was only part old, of it. Yeah. yeah. The 52-year-old allegedly collected data from the U.S. intelligence agency relating to national defense from December 1993 to August 2016. According to the Acting Assistant Attorney General for National Security, Mary McCord, U.S. Attorney Rod Ronstein for the District of Maryland and Special Agent Gordon Johnson of the FBI's Baltimore Field Office, Martin was employed by at least seven private companies during his time and was granted work as a contractor for various government agencies. The contractor held security clearances up to top-secret and sensitive compartmentalized information during some of this time period, and according to prosecutors, worked on a number of highly classified and specialized projects where he had access to government computer systems, programs, and information, including classified information. Over the course of two decades, Martin allegedly stole sensitive information, which was then hoarded at his home in Glen Buny, Maryland. The Washington Post reported earlier this week that the stolen data included NSA hacking tools, operational plans against a known enemy of the U.S., and a total of 50 terabytes of digital classified material. According to the publication, Martin once held an operation in the NSA's top hacker unit, Tailored Access Operations, and managed to make off with over 75% of the department's library of hacking tools. If the allegation proves to be true, TAO's library and hacking toolset not 
only would fetch a very high price on the market due to the unit's focus on cyber espionage, but the theft highlights a gross security breach in what should be a secretive and secure department. It is not currently known whether any of the allegedly stolen data was utilized for nefarious purposes sold or leaked. Rosenstein called the alleged theft a flagrant abuse of the trust placed in him by the U.S. government. Martin was taken into custody last August. He was working for Booz Allen Hamilton. A government contractor was also provided former NSA contractor Edward Snowden to the intelligence agency. In 2013, Snowden leaked a treasure trove of confidential government documents to the media, which exposed the mass surveillance activities of the U.S. agency at both home and abroad, prompting outrage from technology vendors and the general public. Martin's indictment means he faces a total of 20 criminal counts, each of which can earn the former contractor up to 10 years in jail under the Espionage Act. The FBI investigation in this indictment reveal a broken trust from a security clearance holder, said Johnson. Woefully retaining highly classified national defense information is in a vulnerable setting is a violation of the security policy and the law, which weakens our national security and cannot be tolerated. The former contractors reportedly considered a flight risk, perhaps as an echo of Snowden's dash to Russia, and remains at a detention facility until a hearing on February 14th at the U.S. District Court in Baltimore. Exactly. But then it proves the guy ain't that bloody smart. Because, right, <laughs> the Snowden thing broke. This guy just sat there and kept doing what he was doing. <laughs> then he got caught. <laughs> yeah. You know, another guy gives this huge leak of data and you just sit there going, nah, I'll be fine. They're not going to do a huge <laughs> investigation of every employee. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah, truly a dumbass i've yeah. got to admit but i remember you i remember you and i going booz allen hamilton has a real problem on its hands <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I i took the piss out of its name extensively i believe yeah 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 well we both did because i mean yeah. what a name really you couldn't <laughs> come up with anything better than that <laughs> no considering what was it they've been going for what was it 80 years or whatever yeah. yeah exactly you'd think it would be time for an update you know you know. That was yeah. the update, if I remember. They only started calling themselves that in the 80s or something. <laughs> I think so. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But yeah, what an idiot. So there's huge investigations going on in the whole of the NSA after Snowden, and he just sat there. It was <laughs> only a matter be, of time. <laughs> it'll be fine, yeah. No, he should have done something with it, I think. Well, either got rid of it, hidden it, or... Escaped. Buried it. Something. Yeah, yeah, something. He should have done something instead of nothing. Set up I mean, a patsy. Maybe that's what this guy is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's the fall guy for somebody else. Which sounds unreal, but, you know. You read oh, no, espionage? And... No, it's very normal. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not even just that. You see them do it. You see them do it with, you know, certain other things uh, certain other I don't want to say hacking groups I mean I do but I don't because yeah. <laughs> I don't really have any ties to these people but you see them set people up to be the fall guy all the time mm -hmm. you know somebody who's just low level enough to know enough to take the fall but not high level enough to really do any damage and that happens on a consistent basis and well, yeah, I mean, the hackers learned it from government agencies, so yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole um, 
the Cold War. Yep. God, there are forever fall guys getting thrown under the bus by both sides. I mean, of course. You know, the Russians were setting up low-level agents to take the heat for people deeper undercover, etc. Right. I mean, uh -huh. the US were doing it, UK was doing it, everyone was at it. I yeah. mean, Kim yeah. Philby, I mean, he caused several uh, low-level Russian <laughs> agents to be caught to, <laughs> you know, Whoopsie. keep the pressure <laughs> off him. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, he yeah. was eventually exposed, but yeah, he he was clever about it, so it took him a yeah. while. Well, yeah. And that's kind of the thing. Uh, Makes me want to go watch Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy again. Great film. <laughs> I've, I haven't seen that. I don't, but I don't, like... Oh, you've got to see that. Well, I, I finally saw it's that It's a movie. clever spy film. Right, but I don't don't forget I finally saw that movie you told me about like a year ago, a couple weeks ago. Um, the movie about the free Wi-Fi and the brain wavelengths of people where they were manipulating them, make them kill each other. Oh um, right, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where the the guy gave away free free Wi-Fi and shit on the phones and. Everybody was all excited, and they didn't realize that they were, you know, being manipulated. Yeah, that's uh, Kingsman. Yeah. Yeah, Kingsman Secret Service. No, no, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy <laughs> is 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 a highbrow spy film. It's how spies actually are, not right. all gun gun battles and car chases. <laughs> <laughs> that that's what I like about uh, John Le Carre's work. It's yeah. it's there's none of this fancy stuff. It's just blood and guts espionage. Yeah. Well, I, on the same, I guess, sort of wavelength here, and it's not really the same, um, there was a movie, and Mark Wahlberg was in it a few years ago. It was called Shooter. Yeah. And it was based on the work of this writer who writes about soldiers. I grew up in a military home. And you want to talk about somebody who gets soldiers? This guy gets them. And he was never one. But he writes about that whole kind of culture. You know, that whole country people serving the government, protecting well, the, your family, the one hunting, that makes, that The one that makes me laugh good. is all the people who go on about the, the Bond films. Oh, they're so over the top. Oh, lots of stuff in that. It's just, you know, completely outlandish, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's like... You do know who Ian Fleming was, don't you? <laughs> the guy who came up with this shit. Yeah. Okay, the films are slightly different from the books, but, you know, a lot of people still miss the point that Ian Fleming used to be a spy. Yeah. That's what he did during World War Two. Well, I mean, and if you ask him about James Bond, he'll tell you he picked, the, he tried to make him as boring as possible. Yeah. And it just, people were just fascinated with it. Well, the the funniest story I know about Ian Fleming is actually from David Niven's autobiography, because he knew him okay. completely randomly by accident. But um, David Niven was an army officer, but he'd been invited okay. to the Admiralty for some meeting because he was also he was friends with Winston Churchill, David Niven. But he okay. was sitting in the bar in the Admiralty. Mm -hmm. 
And this naval officer came up to him. Turns out it was Ian Fleming. <laughs> and, and just went to him. You're not very popular. <laughs> Why not? You're sitting in the Admiral's seat. <laughs> Ian Fleming sort of motioned towards some corner. And yeah, there's this old mm -hmm. duffer sitting on, sitting on a chair, glaring at the guy, <laughs> David Niven, sitting on the bar stool. He's like, yeah, you're in the Admiral's seat. <laughs> you know, it's been a seat for 20 years or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, so he got to meet Ian Fleming. <laughs> That's kind of cool. At the time, officially, he, um, Ian Fleming, it wasn't called Naval Intelligence. He was an SBS operative. If you don't know what the SBS is, it's the SAS with boats. <laughs> Special Boat Service. They're the guys who... For instance, um, did reconnaissance on all the D-Day beaches right. before D-Day. Literally, these guys paddled up in canoes and, and ran around on the beaches, mapping <laughs> all the defences and everything. And never got caught. <laughs> and people say, yeah, that James Bond stuff, that's outlandish. Really, this guy did crazier shit than that during the war. <laughs> yeah. Like running around on French beaches under the Germans' noses, <laughs> <laughs> mapping yeah. all the defences of Europe. You know, <laughs> that's just crazy. Um, it's yeah. No, you're right. People don't know that. Hey guys. Hey. Um, my landlord just installed my new shower head. Oh, nice! <laughs> it's a it's a huge rain head. Oh, nice. one of them. Yeah, like six uh -huh. inches across. Yeah. Oh, this thing's nine inches. All right. Oh, wow. That's going to feel nice. Was I'm going to go take like, a shower. What, was it called like the tsunami or something? <laughs> I, I think it's a peerless. I don't know what the name of it was. <laughs> it sounds like a nice... I, I'm excited. I, I've got my new chlorine filter. I'm going to go take a shower. Now remember, remember, you should be cleaning it out in chlorinated water once a month because you don't want legionnaires. Because those big, those big shower heads are worse for it than the little ones. So yeah, because the the water comes through slightly lower pressure. Yeah. Oh, you don't want legionella? What's such a fun disease? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you don't. You don't want legionella. Nobody does. No, 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 no. Yeah. Well, I enjoy your shower head. I'm excited for it. Hell yeah. Y'all have a great night. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So, I said we would talk about this, so we'll talk about this. These smart TVs were apparently spying on their owners. The Federal Trade Commission said Monday that Vizio used 11 million televisions to spy on its customers. The television maker agreed to pay $2.2 million to settle a case with the FTC and the New Jersey Attorney General's office after the agencies accused it of secretly collecting and selling data about its customers' location, demographics, and viewing habits. With the advent of smart appliances, customers and consumer advocates have raised concerns about whether the devices could be sending sensitive information back to the manufacturers. The FTC says the Vizio case shows how a television or other appliance might be telling companies more than their owners are willing to share. Before a company pulls up a chair next to you and starts taking careful notes on everything you watch and shares it with his partners, it should ask you if that's okay with you. 
Kevin Moriarty, an attorney with the FTC's Division of Privacy and Identity Protection, wrote a blog post. Vizio wasn't doing that, and the FTC stepped in. As part of the settlement, Vizio neither confirmed nor denied wrongdoing. Today, the FTC has made it clear that all smart TV makers should get people's consent before collecting and sharing television viewing information, and Vizio now is leading the way, Vizio's general counsel, Jerry Huang, said of the settlement. Although some consumers might not recognize the name Vizio, most have probably watched something on a Vizio television. The Irvine-based California firm, which Chinese firm LeEcho recently announced it would buy, is the most popular TV maker in the United States. With 20% of the U.S. market, it's made about 1 in 5 TVs sold here in 2016. LeEcho has broad ambitions in the consumer space with businesses that also produce a Netflix-style media service, smartphones, and even cars. According to the lawsuit, Vizio was literally watching its watchers, capturing second-by-second information about what people viewed on its smart TVs. That included data from cable, broadband, set-top boxes, over-the-air broadcasts, DVDs, and streaming devices. Vizio is also accused of linking demographic information to the data and selling the data, including users' sex, age, and income, to companies that do targeted advertising. Vizio said in its statement that it never paired viewing information with data that identified individual users, but used viewing data only to aggregate to create summary reports measuring viewers' or audiences' behaviors. The U.S. District Court for the District of New Jersey ordered Vizio to pay $1.5 million to the FTC and $1 million to the New Jersey Attorney General's office. Vizio won't have to pay $300,000 of that unless it violates the order in the future. The part of the settlement paid to the FTC reflects the amount that Vizio probably made from collecting and selling the customer information. Vizio will delete all the data it collected through the feature before March 2016 and must also prominently display its data collection and privacy policies to consumers to create a program to make sure it's, and make sure its partners follow those policies. So the problem with just showing somebody your privacy policy is who reads that? Yeah. Don't most people just click agree? And the other issue is it's not just Vizio. And I don't mean no. Samsung. We, oh, all, I know. we all know about their problems. We all know about It's the fact that Vizio will have been getting these televisions from a manufacturer in South Korea, China, somewhere I like know. that. Yeah. And what these companies do, uh, there are very few flat screen manufacturing facilities. Mm-hmm. Right. So all the TVs are basically made in the same factories and just yep. different casings are put on. Yep. So you can have like eight, nine. I mean, I found this when I've been looking at old technology these days. When mm-hmm. I was going to buy a mouse, you could go to Amazon and there'd be 20 different mice and they're basically mm-hmm. all using the same chipset, sensors, mm-hmm. everything. Just the right. outside casing is different. And it's the same for mm-hmm. these TVs. So mm-hmm. even if you're buying a brand you've never heard of, <laughs> mm-hmm. if it's using the same base unit as the mm-hmm. Viz- Vizios were, yep. all that data is being collected somewhere, potentially. Yep. It's whether it's been enabled by that particular company or not. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I also I had a friend who bought a cheap Chinese tablet Mm-hmm. And he opened it up because, yeah, the tablet had Bluetooth, Wi Fi, all the usual stuff. But he opened mm-hmm. it up and it also had a SIM card slot. It just wasn't activated in the version of Android that they'd put on it. 
So mm -hmm. he put on his own version of Android, put a, a, a mobile phone SIM card in it, and then he had a mobile device. <laughs> it just didn't have the hole in the outside of the casing for you to slot the SIM card in yourself. You had to unscrew it, <laughs> put on your own version of Android, but yeah, it worked fine. And that was yeah. like, you know, a, a, an, a, an $80 cheap tablet from China. Generic. Yeah. Well, I mean... Honestly, smart TVs ought to frighten the shit out of people. And they don't. It blows my mind. How can that not freak you out? It's you know? the, the, the funny one is all the people who are wiring up their houses with all this smart technology. Mm -hmm. You know, they have like even the light bulbs. Right. I have an app on my phone. I can control the light bulbs. That means it's hooked up to your Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yep. What are you going to do if a hacker decides to fuck with your house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, finds in, gets through your security and goes, ooh. <laughs> so yeah. Middle of the night, you're trying to sleep, suddenly all your lights are coming on, stereo's starting to play, you know, all that kind of well, stuff. I mean, and, and it's not just that. Hackers use that shit to create botnets. Yes. You know? And and botnets are, they're they're pretty... They're pretty technical now. I mean, what were they? They were getting ridiculous speeds through baby monitors. Yeah. When when they well, were I running mean, the attacks on the uh, there the is now. I mean, as we speak now, there will be DDoS attacks oh, yeah. happening somewhere. Oh. It's all I the mean, time now. It used to know, be it's... big attacks that every it happen every once in a while. Now mm -hmm. it's every day somewhere is getting a giant DDoS attack happen to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the weird part is, right, there's, um, if you look in, you know, in what your router has listed, it'll have all your devices listed. Yeah. If you have potential smart devices in your home, even if you don't have them hooked up, it has given them an address. Yes. You know, because I, I, it's, it's listed all my tablets, all my phones, no, including my ones that like are stupid phones, have an IP address. Yeah, I mean, if if I was router, if I was evil up. and nasty, right? We have a lot mm -hmm. of visitors to our house, uh, mm -hmm. and most of them have smartphones, and yeah, some of them use the internet while they're here. <laughs> so hmm. yeah, I can get information from my router, and I could mess with them. Um, oh yeah, but I don't because yeah. I got that out of my system decades ago. <laughs> right, but what I'm saying is that potential danger exists and yeah. people don't know. That's why you shouldn't, you shouldn't use unsecured public Wi-Fi for that very reason, although secure well, Wi-Fi isn't right. hugely that much better. Um, well, I mean, remember that TV? What was it, the one that got held up for, held for yeah. ransomware? Yeah, it was just a few weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, I mean... The Internet of Things has made the world smaller. And in, in some respects, if you have elderly people that have a hard time getting around, you know, the, the light bulb that you can control with your phone, that's like a blessing for them, yeah. right? But for other I, people, that's I mean, not a great thing. I've got remote control bulbs, but mm -hmm. mine have their own little handset. <laughs> yeah. I don't control it using another device. It has its own yeah. infrared remote. 
Yeah. It just really In fact, surprises I've got, me. I've got two rem- uh, three remotes. Because I've got LED light strips. I've got a spotlight for when I'm doing video. And yeah. then there's my normal roof lights, which are on another control. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm just surprised at the people that are just. It's so fine convenient. With this. Everything's linked together. It's like. Yeah, yeah it's convenient. It's really convenient until it goes wrong. <laughs> then what it's really, it? really inconvenient. <laughs> they were saying that. The, the smart fridges that yeah. those weren't they getting pawned by Google there was Google Calendar that was hooked up to people's smart fridges and, and they were getting hacked through their smart fridges yeah I mean and it, I'm going you have to be why would you have your Google Calendar linked to your fridge certain like, um, Dyson vacuum cleaners uh, attached to or they certainly used to attach to um, Wi-Fi, and if parts were wearing out, they could... Order parts. Would, <laughs> not order parts, but inform Dyson, who would then call you and go, uh, your Hoover tells us. <laughs> what? <laughs> your vacuum's telling us that this needs replacing. That's just crazy. I mean, the idea that they have the ability to phone home. I'm just waiting for the Dyson that's like, help, help, they've kept me out in the cupboard and won't let me in. (laughs) Oh, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. So, I thought this was interesting. And I I guess we'll probably end with this because we're getting close to the end anyway. 30 minutes to go. Yeah. Capris B discovers new malware designed to stealthily steal data. Like, you didn't have enough to be afraid of. Ah! Analysis. Capris B Lab has discovered a new strand of malware that hides in memory and trusted applications while it stealthily steals sensitive data. A new breed of malware found by Capris B Lab may seem like a nightmare for system administrators and IT managers. This is malware that uses legitimate, frequently open-source software to infect a system, then uses commonly used Windows services for implementation of... operation. Once the malware is running inside of Windows, it erases all trace of its existence and resides in the memory of the server it's affected only long enough to exfiltrate the information it's been sent to steal and then it erases itself. Because the new malware examples, which Caprisby has named MEM Trojan.Win32Cometer and MEM.Trojan dot win32 metasploit reside memory they can't be found by standard antivirus packages that scan a computer's hard disk in memory malware furthermore the malware hides inside of other applications making it practically invisible to antivirus packages and whitelisting services used by many firewalls according to an entry by caprisby on the secure list blog the process works by temporarily placing an installation utility on the computer's hard drive which installs the malware directly using a standard windows.msi file before erasing the utility. Once the malware starts collecting the targeted data, it uses the unusual 4444 port address to access the tunnel. That tunnel is the route for exfiltration. (coughs) Sorry. The malware is hard to find because it exists only in a computer's memory, which means that the victim's anti-malware system uh, sorry, software needs to scan the memory while the computer is still running with the infection still present. Rebooting the computer will erase the malware, which in turn means the forensic analysis has nothing to look for. 
Kaspersky Lab Principal Security Researcher Kurt Bergmatter said that this research, that its research teams first found the malware in a bank in Russia. The team was able to get to the server, in this case a domain controller, before the computer was rebooted, which allowed them to find the malware. There, the Kaspersky team found that the attackers were using a shell script to install a malicious service in the computer's registry. Baumgartner said that while the AV programs that look for signatures on a computer hard disk won't find this malware, it can still be found. An updated anti-malware package should find it by its activities, such as creating tunnels, starting services, or launching PowerShell activity. Network monitoring packages can spot the creation of the tunnel and the, the use of the 4444 port. We watch what's being performed on the system, and when a variant that's never been seen before starts, we see it and stop it, Baumgartner said. He added that a typical characteristic is data broadcast from a number of different places on the network using the tunnel. He said that in addition to dealing with the phishing attacks, it's important to keep Windows computers updated. William Gartner said that under-resourced Windows XP machines are an easy target for the malware. Hard to find. William Gartner also noted that watching your system logs and monitoring your network's outbound traffic are important ways to detect if this invisible malware is on your network. But he also said it's important to store that data offline so that malware can't find it and erase any evidence. He also said that it's an important means of fighting malware is to disuse, I'm sorry, disable PowerShell. But he noted some administrators won't do that because they use that utility themselves. Fortunately, getting rid of the malware can be accomplished by simply rebooting the computer, but that won't prevent the malware from coming back and operating again. That can be accomplished with the right countermeasures and with good practices, such as making sure your server software is up to date. It's worth noting that when Kaspersky found the first instance of the malware, it started looking for other instances. It found hundreds of other computers that were infected. In addition to Russian banks, the team found infections in 40 countries. The United States had the largest number of invisible malware infections, but Ecuador, France, Kenya, Russia, and the UK each had a number of infections. Unlike some recent malware packages, the people who sent out the invisible malware aren't intent on doing anything to damage the computers that the infection is installed on. Instead, it's designed to hide quietly in the memory of a server, find and collect critical information, and then just as quietly transfer it out of the enterprise that it's penetrated. The Kaspersky team hasn't been able to determine who's behind these attacks. Part of that reason is the software uses the obscure TLD, top-level domains, as a target. The chosen domains don't have whois entries, and they are frequently abandoned by whoever set them up. This makes the exfiltrated information almost impossible to trace. Following best security practices can make a successful attack harder to pull off, but you still need to take care of all the available precautions, including monitoring your network and your servers, and even rebooting servers every so often. The malware may be invisible, but that doesn't mean it's not real. The actual malware stays in the memory where it uses window PowerShell scripts to gain administrator passwords, set up tunnels, and then start gathering information. Yay! Yeah. I'm not hugely surprised. Uh, it, there no. have been similar things around for quite a while. Right. Th this is one of the sneakiest ones, but yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it's quiet. At least, at least this one, it's it's. You notice it's not targeting home computers at the minute. Because no, lots banks. of the home computers, your antivirus now scans the active memory as well. Um, yeah. So as long as you keep it up to date, this sort of thing would get detected. However. Mm -hmm. The nature of servers makes they run antivirus more tricky. Yeah, they pretty much run twenty four seven. And I mean, yeah. if you've got to reboot it, it's a major fucking thing for it. It takes oh, forever yeah. to get restart. 
So, well, no, yeah. it doesn't take a huge amount of time, but it's the downtime for the company. Because well, until it's up and running about. fully and retested, you can't You're just sure. put it live again. Because uh, yeah. m- most decent companies say you have four active servers. <laughs> You'll have one backup server, <laughs> and you start it up when you're taking down one of the other servers for maintenance. So you've always got yeah. like one spare. Um, well, not saying okay. all companies do that, but anyone no, that brain does. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, because otherwise you have you slow, slowing slowed service. So yeah. Well, yeah. Let me put it this way: <laughs> I don't work for a company that does anything smart like that. <laughs> And I'm just talking about in in store servers, which yeah. definitely have more than one. You know, so yeah, we don't have that. We should, but we don't. Well, the no. the only the only really successful server I know of where it doesn't have a backup is Eve Online. Uh, huh. But it's yeah, it it's one of the most attacked servers in the history <laughs> of computers, probably. Um. And very few times have hackers managed to actually take it down. <laughs> the guys who designed that went overkill in a big way. It it yeah. it does run. I mean, they they shut it down frequently. Uh, I think it's daily yeah. for fifteen minutes for yeah. maintenance, and that's it. That's the only time it's down. Uh, I think the last time it was down was like two thousand nine. <laughs> <laughs> That was, that was the last time somebody managed to break it. And, and that yeah. wasn't even a deliberate hack. That was just the players. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a big battle. If, yeah. if, if, you want, if you want interesting stuff on shit that can go wrong in, in people's computer lives, e- stories from EVE Online are hilarious. But yeah. <laughs> but yes. Mm. Um, and you notice they explicitly said in that story... Yeah, XP machines are an easy target. Yeah. Because, yeah, lots of big corporate companies are still using Windows XP. Right. Well, in the case of server, it's, it'll be Windows 2000, but it's practically mm-hmm. the same thing. Um, bank bank machines, you know, your ATMs, Windows XP. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I bet, I bet that server probably had a few infections because when they say they found it in banks that was my instant thought it's like they'll be grabbing information off the ATM systems oh yeah well I mean the ATM systems are run on the old software isn't aren't they yeah XP yeah basically it's crazy so to communicate easily with the ATMs the servers are probably on Windows 2000 so yeah yeah Yeah. oh yeah I mean I know banks are, are freaking because Windows ending all the um, support for those systems. Well, and I think, I think they Black, I think XP like... Black Edition goes to 2018. And that's it. And people, people now, now people will be wondering, what Black Edition? What's Black Edition? It's like, never mind. Don't worry about it. You, you don't need to know. You're, it's on a need-to-know basis, and if you don't know, you don't need if, if you don't know what it is, you've got no use for it, basically. So, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It's so. for people who like old tech, basically. Yeah. I'm not going to upgrade my computer, no matter what. 
Yeah, uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> you just keep all your security holes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, enjoy that. You have fun with that. So, yeah. Do you realize we did almost every story tonight? Uh-huh. I even added one. Yeah. And this is the most I've had on here in ages that we've gotten through all of them. Except for, I guess, I haven't done what the Netflix one and the TSA one. Oh, and and uh, Apple. Yeah. So that's still not a that's pretty good. You know, good going. We got a, <laughs> got a, we got a lot done though. Oh, actually. And we got some sides in. So yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm gonna do this one really quick because it looks like it's gonna be good. The iOS. Yeah, it's a short one. IOS. Yeah, iOS cracking tools reportedly used by FBI released to the public. A hacker has put the FBI on notice. Last year, the FBI ordered Apple to help crack the iPhone 5C, owned by Saeed Farouk, one of the shooters in the 2015 attacks in San Bernardino. Apple refused, and the FBI reportedly worked with Cellbrite, an Israeli firm that specializes in mobile security. According to a statement from Cellbrite last month, a hacker breached one of its legacy servers. Now, the hackers released some of that data as a warning to the FBI. The data released includes code that seems to relate to Cellbrite's universal forensic extraction device and can allegedly crack older iPhones like the 5C as well as Android and BlackBerry devices. Speaking anonymously to Motherboard, the hacker explained that simply creating these tools makes their release inevitable where they can be used by anyone with technical knowledge, including impressive regimes around the world. It's important to demonstrate that when you create these tools, they will make it out. History should make that clear, they told Motherboard. Claiming to have taken the tools from Cellbrite's own servers, the hackers say they were able to get into the encrypted files and post them on Pastebin. Well, everybody knows Pastebin. A popular code repository. Some of the code seems to have been lifted from publicly accessible jailbreaking code as well. A spokesperson for the firm told Motherboard that the files did not include source code, only packaging information. Apple CEO Tim Cook said at the time that creating this type of backdoor software would be terrible for public safety. While the currently released cracking tools do not include ways to break into current device models, the warning is clear. Once made, tools like this don't stay private for long. Yeah, are you listening, Comey? <laughs> <laughs> I think people aren't listening, yeah. unfortunately. His his magic unicorns can't protect the the hacking <laughs> tools. Yeah. Oh well, you know, like they keep saying, the problem is we're just not the geeks are just not nerding hard enough, putting back doors and make them secure, and make sure that people don't know they're being surveilled, and 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 because the government says so. <laughs> well, there's, there's an old story. It's like yeah. Uh, a king wanted to have an impregnable fortress. Got got the the masons in to build him an impregnable fortress. He shows up at his fortress and he can't get in because there's no doors <laughs> or windows. <laughs> that's the only way. That's the only way, and that's the thing. You know, I think we're moving to a point where I think the interconnectedness of devices is going to be seen as a liability for a lot of people and they're going to be moving on to older tech. You know, and I don't see that as being a bad thing. You know. I, I now have that image of um, that's a Kevin Smith in <laughs> <laughs> with, 
with his CB in <laughs> Die Hard 4. Point oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God, I remember that. <laughs> that hey, fun. man, don't touch the radio. That's my emergency <laughs> communications. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, it's probably not a bad idea to understand the technology behind that. Not just CB, but shortwave, you know? Yeah. You never know. I mean, and it sounds paranoid, but, you know, a lot of communities have that where they just there's emergency stations you can tune into that relate the news yeah you know because if you're you know, if you're really paranoid point to point radio have you heard about that no they developed it in world war Two. okay um <laughs> the resistance agents in france had very very short wave radios mm -hmm. but not only that they're narrow beam basically, so directed wave rather than okay. general broadcast. Mm -hmm. And the British had mosquito bombers equipped with receivers. Okay. And for however long the plane could stay in the air, they'd fly along a particular corridor above France at high altitude mm -hmm. and just wait for the agents to communicate with them. Because... Huh. You had to be basically on that line to be able to hear the hear the radio <laughs> signal, um, well, you, and normal triangulation equipment could only pick up the radio signal at fifty feet. Wow! You know, Damn. unless you're up in the sky, yeah, it, it was really hard to find. Um, <laughs> There's something, and that's said... that's how that's how the agent communicated with the Allied command before something... D-Day. There's something to be said about that level of paranoia. <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked. Um, it's effective. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I mean, it's agents got effective. caught with the radios, but that radio was only good for that agent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff. if that agent, you know, um, it'd be very hard for the Germans to figure out where exactly the aircraft corridor was, for instance. Yeah. That so, is true. Yeah. So they have the radio, and then they just think it's a normal radio. <laughs> Very true. And nothing wrong with having a regular radio. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. It's, uh, it's interesting. I was going to say, you know, I mean, we know about dirt boxes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming the idea must have come from that, the history of that, maybe. Yeah, no. various places. My flatmate was amused. You know, um, I changed mobile phone companies uh -huh. this week. Right. So I amused my flat flatmate because, you know, I put the new SIM card in and I came through. Mm -hmm. and I, Look what my phone's doing. Huge warning across the screen. Unknown network! <laughs> one of my pieces of security software. So, of course, I changed mobile phone company. So the right. the it's... It you this is the funniest bit. It uses the same network infrastructure, right? But of course, the phone is now saying, "Oh, that's with this company." And of course, previously it had been a different company name. Mm -hmm. So the phone was bringing me up a warning, telling me it was on an unknown signal source. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing as hell. Yes. But I mean, you know, you know what you're doing with that. Yeah. That's that's... It does the same whenever I, if I go anywhere and I turn the Wi-Fi on, 
Oh, yeah. If I connect to a Wi-Fi network or a Wi-Fi network bullies its way to force my phone to connect to it, right? the same software will flush up a warning going, hey, this network's... <laughs> my, you know what's <laughs> and funny? And it's full funny. screen. I mean, you can't yeah. ignore it. It's like, oh, mine's, right. mine's My phone's funny. My phone flashes up and says um, where I work because um, it, it always connects to the Wi-Fi when I'm walking the door. And it says, um, Publix customer might be dangerous. I mean, like <laughs> big letters all across my phone. I'm like, I'm here every day. I know it's a public access isn't, isn't, Wi-Fi. Isn't phone. there a whitelist? You just tell it to ignore that one? I Cause... could. I just think, it, I think it's funny because, you know, it gives me a chuckle. Publix customer could be dangerous. And the way Absolutely. you've spoken about your com company, the, yeah, the danger is, yeah, the internet won't work right. <laughs> oh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. So, you know, it's good Warning, stuff. <laughs> you're going to have shit service. Yeah, yeah well, it's funny because the, the Wi-Fi um, port is in the manager's office, right? So as soon as we got really what we call decent Wi-Fi, which is shit, um, they put up a sign that said uh, Publix is now a Wi-Fi hotspot. They got so many complaints, they had to switch to a stronger Wi-Fi segment. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I mean, if you were standing directly under the manager's office, which is on the second floor of the building, you got great Wi-Fi. Other than that, you couldn't get anything at all. And we had our printers and stuff remotely hooked up to this, and it just wasn't working that well. Yeah, badly thought out and designed. Yeah. Not a great idea. That plus so fat these days, if you're not using 5 and 2.4 gigahertz, you're really kind of wasting time. Yeah. 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 My, my phone that's... connects incredibly fast because it can do both simultaneously. <laughs> so can the router in our flat. So consequently, my mobile phone, the Wi-Fi on it is amazing in, in the range It's got to be blazingly fast. It's got to yeah. be blazingly fast. Well, you've got You've got good Wi-Fi there. We've got Wi-Fi like third world countries have in America. You know, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Well, I was complaining that. to somebody just the other day. I only get, you know, it took me a while to download a large file, but you know, it took a couple, took a couple of hours to download fifty-five gigs. Um, yeah. Because one, I was throttling it because there's multiple people in the flat, and two, I can only get seventy-eight meg download here. Yeah, they're like, oh, don't, can't you get Virgin? Virgin Media yeah. do um, cable in the mm -hmm. UK. I'm like, no, no virgins here. <laughs> they don't do virgins in Sterling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason it's seventy-eight, it's fibre to the cabinet. Mm -hmm. It would be eighty because the cabinet's not that far from where we are. It's right. just the small amount of old-fashioned telephone cable between that cabinet and our flat. Because in the 70s uh -huh. or 80s, uh, there's about 40 feet of aluminium alloy cable rather than pure uh -huh. copper. Right. If it was pure copper, we'd probably get a meg. <laughs> <laughs> but 40 feet of cheap, shitty cable, yeah, it would drop a couple of meg. meg so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, think of that on a countrywide basis, and that'll yeah. tell you what kind of internet we have here. 
I don't know, I mean, you get that in places in the UK as well. I was talking to somebody, their nearest fibre to the cabinet, cabinet is a mile from their house. And it's all the crappy aluminium style cable in his area. So the best he can get is 25 meg. Mm -hmm. Most of that's down to the he's a mile from the nearest cabinet. But yeah, <laughs> there'll be about a 10% loss to the, the, the nasty cable as well. Uh -huh. Oh, God. Although Sterling, um, Sterling, they're going to be fibering up Sterling, apparently. Our council's oh, done a deal with British Telecom. Damn. For businesses to begin with, full fibre oh. to the premises. Wow. But it'll, hopefully be... it'll eventually roll out to consumers as well. Well, it usually does once the expenses rolled out of the system. Yeah, once you know a load I mean? of businesses signed up and they're oh, in yeah. a fortune. Yeah. Yep. Any then they excess bandwidth. On, and on fiber, there's a lot of excess bandwidth. Um, Damn. We can start selling it to the public. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 8.52. Um, what do you say we do? Music and ad. Okay. Okay. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Thanks for listening, you guys. Have a good night. We'll see you next Friday. <laughs>